What's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 143. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is the Pied Piper of R&B. <laughs> singing Friday? No, singing uh, Ignition Remix. Wow. All right, then. Well, well played, sir. All right. Um, this week we're talking about movies we were so wrong about. Uh, we're we're going to take this a few different directions, so that should be a pretty fun discussion. But uh, that we'll get to that eventually. First of all, let's go ahead and talk about what we watched this week. I'll go first since I watched one thing. And uh, that was I Saw the Devil. I saw that yesterday, and I thought that was an absolutely amazing movie. Uh, I know you haven't seen it, Barry. Did you get a chance to catch it yet, Ethan? It's actually opening here in two weeks, so I'm going to go see it then. Nice. Then Maybe I should just save that for when you see it so we can have a full discussion about it. Okay. I, I, I will just say I think it takes the uh, vengeance uh, genre of Korean films in an interesting new direction. And really kind of knocks you, gives you a good gut punch a few times. Is it one of the best films you've seen this year? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I really dug it. Um, okay, well, that, that's all I got. Ethan, what you been watching, sir? Uh, I rewatched The Faculty. Ah, Robert <laughs> nice. Rodriguez. Honestly, I think that's my favorite Robert Rodriguez movie. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's a lot of fun. Like, uh, it has a really good screenplay the, the whole cast and it's awesome even like even like josh hartnett's good in it which is weird and <laughs> and uh yeah and i was actually i watched it with my friend alex and his two younger brothers and they were like really into it so that kind of just lended to the experience and yeah it's pretty it's a pretty fun movie yeah i like the i like the faculty a lot i remember the day it came out it was like a family christmas movie outing and my dad and a uh, few of the people involved are like, let's go see Mighty Joe Young. And Marty and I are like, no, we want to see the faculty. <laughs> so we had to go see Mighty Joe Young while the faculty was like literally playing in the theater next to us. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, so I had to get to see till till it was on, on VHS. VHS, mind you, because this is the early 90s. That's how I saw it too, yeah. 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 But no, I agree with you, Ethan. It's a lot of fun. I I don't know if it's my favorite Rodriguez movie. I'd have to think about that because I like it better than any of the Spy Kids movies and... I need to revisit it because it is. I remember it being a very fun movie. Do you remember the music video where they did a remake of Another Brick in the Wall with all the cast? It was like like Elijah Wood and everybody like singing. No, I missed that one. Yeah, uh, it, it should be on YouTube somewhere. I was gonna say I really love that scene where the cover of that song plays. It's where it's like they're all playing football and it's like all the the pretty much aliens have almost completely taken over that point. All like the football players are like aliens and they're like tackling people and the way it's filmed it actually sort of reminded me of the uh rowing scene in the social network it's like taking this kind of sporting event and just making it like so visually interesting but yes. yeah it's it's a pretty awesome movie yes and robert patrick is the coach good yes. casting good casting piper laurie is the other evil teacher that's a fun movie yeah it was we seeing uh, john stewart in it that's right back when he was an actor that's right <laughs> way back when yeah nice what else sir I watched Dial M for Murder for the first time. Oh, wonderful. Nice. Uh, now, uh, I just question, was the whole movie in 3D or just a segment? The entire film. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it needed it too, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, apparently, I, I, I liked it. <laughs> well, like this is this is apparently the, the official word on it. Hitchcock apparently filmed it in 3D. 
Um, and apparently it was only released in a very, very limited 3D when it was originally in theaters, and most theaters got it regular 2D, and it wasn't until 1981 when it was re-released in New York that all of a sudden it got a 3D release and people embraced it as one of the best 3D movies ever. But most people didn't see it in 3D when it was originally in theaters. But anyway, I mean, obviously this is the kind of movie you kind of have to judge it based on its merits as a film, not its Yeah, yeah. 3D. The, the, the fact that it plays just fine without it being in 3D, I think, yeah. lends a lot of credibility to Hitchcock as a filmmaker. Did you Game see changer. It? There it is, yeah, totally. Did you see A Perfect Murder, the remake? No, I'm inter- I'm actually interested in seeing that. Yeah, who, yeah. Who, isn't it like a really good director or am I around? Uh, I think a pretty good director. I mean, Andy Davis, you know, Andrew Davis, who did uh, you know The Fugitive and and uh, uh, well, he did Chuck Norris's Code of Silence. He did Under Under Siege, the best Steven Seagal film. Uh, for some reason, um, I was no, under the impression it was directed sir. by uh, Adrian Lean. For some reason, I guess I'm no, wrong. no, yeah, not Ad- yeah. It was uh, Andy Davis, and I, I like the film. Um, I. Um, Viggo Mortensen did that film and the Psycho remake back to back so it's weird that he was in two Hitchcock remakes back to back but uh, Michael Douglas is excellent in the film it's very creepy though to see him married to Gwyneth Paltrow I'm not going to lie she's a good fill-in for, for Grace Kelly especially in that film but it's very very strange to see him married to Gwyneth Paltrow the Douglas can get any chick he wants Barry you know what you're absolutely right because I just saw Wonder Boys of the day with him and uh, you know and Katie Holmes and I'm like you know what <laughs> I believe it it's Michael Douglas. Well, have you seen Solitary Man yet? Yes, I love Solitary Man. Yeah, he get, in that movie he's just like oh man, all the time, all day, every day. He is like the original Charlie Sheen. Ah, pretty much. Wow. Okay. What else? We gave him a few pointers on the set of Wall Street. <laughs> and that's how Charlie Sheen became the man he is today. It's, it's funny to see him though, like because we talked about his cameo in Wall Street too, and it's funny to think like that's actually like a serious acting role. We think about it now, like how ref- how refined and like held back Sheen is in that movie. To know how he really is, like wow, that was like a tour de force of underplaying in that film. It sure was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I also rewatched uh, Torque, another classic. Oh my gosh, I've <laughs> seen Torque. Wow. <laughs> Why? I, I I don't know how anyone can watch that movie and not think it's a spoof. Like it is so clearly a spoof of those kinds of movies, and I love that for it. I remember the ending where like the bikes, like one bike has Mountain Dew on and the other bike has like Pepsi, so it becomes like yes, a battle they between. Do, they do bike foo. <laughs> it's like a battle between Mountain Dew and Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> bike foo. That is that that is epic. I I haven't seen this movie. I need to now. Ice, yes. ice, you know, I love Ice Cube. No matter what, I don't care if he's in a good movie or a bad movie. It's got Ice Cube in it. I will see it. He's hilarious in it. Like, yes, he uh, is. <laughs> that, that scene where they're, they're like, he, his intro in the movie when he's like, they're talk, he's just like, yo, I, I'd have to say the N word to quote him here, but so I guess I won't. But he's like, I'll just say, I'll praise it with brother. He's like, brother, I know where sushi comes from. Just that the way he delivered that line made me laugh my ass off. <laughs> wow. There it is. And I actually got retweeted by the director of the movie because I do my usual Twitter rating things. I gave it a 3.5 out of 4. Yeah. And he retweeted me saying, you have good taste. That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. That's seriously cool to get like, you know, a, a, an approving nod from the director of Torque. Yes. That's cool. So, yeah, I, I love that film. Uh, I watched uh, Kurosawa's Drunken Angel for the first time. I've never seen that. How is it? 
It's good. It's about uh, this like gangster played by Toshiro Mifun who uh, kind of has like this regular physician who who treats him because basically he's dying. And uh, they have a. It is the whole movie's about their relationship. And the thing is, Toshiro Mifun is already a, a guy of a lot of screen presence. But this guy who plays a physician is like almost out Mifuning him the whole movie. He's just like yell. <laughs> he's just yelling and like being angry, and it's awesome. And uh, Mifun is like totally different than he is in like a lot of his other movies. He just maybe just he had the fact that he has no beard. He just looks really different. And uh, as usual. For, for Kurosawa, visually, it's just awesome, so kinetic, well filmed. The cinematography is beautiful. It's a it's a n- nice uh, fit between like a film noir and a drama. So I definitely recommend it. Man, that sounds great. I'm embarrassed to admit that I've not seen that, but I openly admitted to seeing Torch just a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the day before, I was in the same position, Barry. Oh, okay. Well, I will I will definitely see Drunken Angel. That sounds really good. Yeah. Uh, I saw, I scratched a huge title off my list of shame. Uh, I saw Bertolucci's The Conformist for the oh, first time ever. Yes. I, I I think that film is just stunning. Uh, it has, like, maybe the greatest mise-en-scene I've ever seen in a film. The Just the way all the elements of the mise-en-scene kind of coalesce together for one vision, like the, the costumes, the art direction, the lighting, the performances. Yeah. And that with the screenplay, which is amazing too, I just, that film blew me away. I, I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's one of the masterpieces of cinema. And, and Vittorio Storaro's cinematography, I mean, it's, I, I put it up there, top 10 best shot film ever made. I mean, it's just a, just a, such a work of art. Because honestly, I didn't get it when I saw The Last Tango in Paris. I'm like, I, I understand why this film is so controversial and such a talking point, but I didn't think it was quite the ultra ultra masterpiece that everybody claimed it to be. And and same thing with The Last Emperor. Like, I think, I think you know, Dave and I kind of have similar views on it. It's a, it's a stunning film, but like, why was this the best picture of 1987? But uh, I'm the same with t- Last Tango in Paris. I just didn't think okay. it was anything all that special. Well, you know, we could, <laughs> that's another topic. Yeah. But uh, but no, I mean, the, with the Conformist, I really got it. I thought, man, I after, I would follow him to the ends of the earth for any film he did after a film like that. That is just such a stunningly good film. Yep. I uh, watched Gus Van Sant's Drugstore Cowboy for the first time ever. Oh, nice. Which I, I really liked it. It's uh, definitely fits in with his work. Yeah, though I have you read the novel it's based on? I have not. Okay, I'm just gonna ask if it was set if if it was set in Portland. Hmm. Just because the uh, obviously that's Gus Van Sant's usual setting, but right. in this movie it it worked so well. It gave it such a different atmosphere because usually junky movies are in New York or L.A. Right, right. And just that kind of Portland atmosphere, I thought was just very interesting. And I liked. Uh, I actually I love the inclusion of uh, William S. Burroughs in it. Oh, that's such a great scene. Such a great scene. Yeah. It's funny. The first time I'd actually seen that scene, that scene with him before. Uh, I was at my friend's apartment, and I was tripping on mushrooms, and she showed me that scene. <laughs> so it was, like, interesting watching that sober now. But, yeah, Because you didn't really film. think that was a scene. Did, did you think that was just something you were seeing, just William Burroughs as a, as a junkie priest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, last, last, I, uh, I watched How Do You Know, which, honestly, I, I liked. Thank you. I think uh, the the problem with the movie it definitely is not a perfect movie. The big problem is just the pacing of it is not the best. But I think it's very well written, and um, 
and very funny and well performed. I thought Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon were awesome in it. And uh, there's some really interesting, good, great gags in it. Like there's that scene where uh, Paul Rudd he's talking on the phone and he just falls down the stairs. It's like such a weird gag, but I love that. And there's that scene where he has to uh, he is the, in the uh, hospital where he has the camera and he has to record the proposal. Right, right. That, that's an awesome scene. Like that's that that's one of our, that's like to me that's like top class Brooks writing right there. And, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's a good movie. I, I just, it is a little sentimental at the end and a little syrupy, but I, I liked it. I, I was into it enough that I was willing to kind of like be like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm touched here, but yeah, I liked it. Well, I appreciate that. Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel pretty much the same way. I mean, I think it is a, fl- a flawed film, but I think for the most part, it's, it's best elements are really, really strong. What'd you think of the Jack Nicholson scenes? Uh, some of them didn't work for me, to be honest. And I agree. And that was hard for me to admit to, <laughs> but because uh, I love Jack. But um, yeah, oddly, I thought he felt kind of out of place, and I don't think his scenes were particularly strong. Well, I read that Bill Murray was originally going to play his role. Maybe that right. would have been better. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, because inevitably, I mean, Nicholson brings so much weight every time he's on, on the screen from just his presence and whatnot. And I wonder if Bill Murray would have had a... A lighter touch, although that would have been strange seeing Bill Murray as as Paul Rudd's father, but I don't know. Oh. Uh, I guess I'm up. Any, is that it for you, Ethan? Oh yeah, I'm right. I'm done. It is Barry's turn. Well, you know, after last week, I had such a good experience going back to Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Um, I thought I'd give another movie a shot that I saw the same year um, that I initially disliked very much, and uh, I you know because I I really like Hannibal, so I thought I'd. Oh, go- this is gonna be Freddy Got Fingered, isn't it? It actually is not. No, um, I actually went back. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know what? I have not seen that film since uh, since 2001. So, yeah, uh, that movie is worth a revision. Um, I did go back and watch uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, which uh, did not improve <laughs> over time. Um, you know, it, it, you were tempting fate, sir. I was curious. I was very curious because I had not seen it since 2001. Um, I saw it twice the weekend it came out because I, I saw it and then I saw it with a friend of mine who was like, we got to see it together. And it, it, yeah, the same problems I had with it 10 years ago still stand. It does not have a leading man. I don't know what Mark Wahlberg is, is doing in the movie, but he's not carrying it. And the screenplay is pretty poor. I mean, it, it um, tonally, it's out of whack. I mean, it tries to be a, a social commentary, which doesn't completely work. It tries to be an action movie, which doesn't work. And it tries to be science fiction, even though the science is so sketchy. Um, I'm one of the few people who openly admit I do like the ending because it's it's very Rod Serling. It's very freak show-ish, and it's very bizarre. And I, I think it's it's a fine way to end the film. Um, and oddly enough, I also like the opening stuff, too, with him in outer space. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun thing. But everything in between, all the Planet of the Apes scenes, I don't think they work. Um, I, I don't love- think it earned the ending. What's that? I don't think it earned the ending. Had it been a better film throughout, I probably would have been okay with the ending. I think the ending is one of the few strong scenes in the movie, actually. Um, the actors in Ape, 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 uh, in, in, you know, all the all the technical in aspects of the movie. The Ape, yeah, Ape Face, <laughs> if you want to go there. Um, I mean, I, I still love Tim Roth's performance. Um, I love uh, Glenn Shaddix, the late Glenn Shaddix. That he's wonderful as the as the orangutan man, and and uh, Charlton Heston scene. I thought it was, oh, <laughs> yeah. I really liked that scene a lot. There's this movie has so much going for it. I mean, it's kind of one of Tim Burton's best scores. I mean, it's highly percussive. I think it's a thrilling score. The sets couldn't be better. The costumes couldn't be better. And and yes, truly some of the best makeup in in cinema. I think. I mean, just incredible the work Rick Baker did for this film. Um, but I got to throw this out here, and it hates. 
I, I hate to say this because I don't like to pick, you know, you know how much I love Burton for the most part, but there is a scene in this movie nobody ever talks about where Mark Wahlberg and Estella Warren and Chris Christopherson and a bunch of humans are initially escaping from this, you know, from their cages and they're running away and they bump into like a gang of apes that are in black leather jackets and they're like, <laughs> I think they're listening to hip hop. The no. scene lasts for just a second, but I swear to you, I don't know what Burton was trying to achieve with that scene. I don't know what the purpose of the scene is, but it feels really embarrassing. Um, I actually went back and watched it again. I'm like, what is that? What was that scene supposed to? I think it was supposed to be like some kind of satirical point, but anyway. Well, um, uh, sorry, in that whole sequence of this game, wasn't there like a scene? I, this is like all I remember from the movie where they like they run through like a room where like two apes are about to get it on, and like they're like yes kind of like yeah that's all i remember about right, that yeah one movie. of the apes is the one i was talking about uh, glenn shaddix he's in bed and he's going ooh, 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 ah, ah. and the wife is lisa marie you know uh tim burton's former muse um you know she was uh, ichabod's mom in uh and and plus of course she was the famous you know uh, sexy alien in mars attacks yeah they're doing like this mating dance and then all of a sudden like the cast runs through like it's some kind of slapstick comedy yeah doesn't it didn't get better with age? No, it did not. Get, in fact, it got worse with age. Um, but I mean, I think it's still a fascinating failure. It is, and there's a lot of worthwhile things about the film. But it's not a good <coughs> movie. Not a good movie. Um, went and watched the uh, documentary Grey Gardens, which I've never seen before. That's uh, that's on Netflix, isn't it? It's on Netflix. It's it's pretty stunning stuff. Um, it's somewhere between gross exploitation and a delightful character observation. Um, this is, of course, about uh, Jackie Onassis's uh, aunt and cousin who lived in this dilapidated mansion that's just falling apart around them. They're living in, in total squalor, and there's cats everywhere. They're like these crazy cat women. And it, it's just the camera just watches them, just observes them. And after a while, they kind of forget the camera's there, and they, they have petty arguments, but they also have these delightful uh, reminiscences about the way life used to be. It's very sad. It's very funny. It's uh, It's... There's nothing else like it. I'll say that it's definitely definitely worth seeing if you're if you're up for something like that. But it's tough. Um, I did get to see Fish Tank finally. Yeah. Um, I, I've got mixed feelings about it. For the most part, I think it's very very strong. Um, the performances are incredible, especially by the lead actress. This is her film debut, and she's great. Uh, Michael Fassbender is excellent. Surprise, surprise, he's terrific. Um, I'm not going to discuss it because I don't want to give it away for anybody who wants to see it. But there is a third act plot twist that kind of leans in the direction of a thriller, and I don't think it works. Um, it felt like the film was trying to kind of become formula. Um, yeah, I didn't like that about it either. Yeah, thank you. And, and you know, and, and because really I want to get behind this movie. It is, I think, a solid film, um, but I felt that, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's such a minimal story. It's, it's, it's character, you know, it's a character drama first and foremost, but towards the end, yeah, it just... It, it felt like it was trying to be a movie when it, it you know, it forgot that it was about these characters. So I, I think that oh, was yeah. a mistake. Uh, I was just going to say the scene in the movie that kind of got me off on the wrong foot was it's near the beginning of a scene with the horse. Yes. It's like, it just, this is obviously attempting to be a neo-realist drama. And that is such like a heavy handed derivative piece of symbolism. Right. And I just, from that point, I just kind of like, uh, yeah, I could have lost the horse subplot too. They kept going back to it, and then once we find out what happens to the horse and her reaction to it, I thought, "Oh, okay, great, I get it. The horse is her." You know, <laughs> it's like such yeah, a, exactly. It's so oh. heavy-handed. Like, no, they didn't need that. They didn't need that. Um, but I loved all the stuff in the apartment, the relationship with the mother and the little girl, and even their last scene, which could have been completely contrived and and kind of maudlin. I liked the last scene between the three of them together. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, it's it, it has some problems, but I think Fish Tank is very strong. 
Um, I did get to see Houseu House. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is that on watch instantly too? Or no, no, okay. I, no. I get it from the mail. Um, Houseu. I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's, there's nothing to say because there's, there's nothing to describe. There's never been anything like this. I mean, it's it's a, a, a adorable cheesy Japanese children's film that becomes this really terrifying horror film. And there's a scene with an eyeball and a mouth that uh, I literally like jumped out of my chair when I saw. It. I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. That is really really disturbing. Um, for me, it got a little too much towards the end. It became so chaotic that I kind of, I, my my emotional investment, if you want to call that, in the movie kind of waned because after a while it becomes like one chaotic set piece after another. Um, but it's it's definitely a must-see because okay. nothing else like it out there. Nothing else like it out there. My, my favorite scene is the one with the, the piano. I'll just say that. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Some stunning, stunning... Uh, um, Gosh, I mean, so many stunning visual moments throughout the whole thing that are just like hard to describe, but definitely worth seeing because it, it does things like on one hand, it's on one hand, it is so bad, it's good at times, but other times it's just it's so clever and ahead of its game that it, it does things that are frankly brilliant, casually brilliant. Um, I saw the first live action Dr. Seuss film came out in the late 60s. It's called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Um, this is not a good film. Okay. It's, uh, it's about a little boy who hates his piano teacher and imagines himself being in this land where the piano teacher is basically the king, and the boy has to wear this hat with a hand on it wherever he goes, and the piano teacher wants him to participate. Basically, basically the piano teacher in this magical world is kidnapping all these boys and making them uh, all play on this one piano that has like 5,000 keys on it. Um, amazing sets, amazing sets, great costumes, great art direction, some of the worst songs I think I've ever heard in a musical. Wow. And Dr. Seuss was directly involved with this movie. This isn't like the, uh, the Mike Myers or, um, Jim Carrey. Thank you. The Jim Carrey film. This is, uh, this is a film that Dr. Seuss was, was very much involved in. And, but there is a reason that most of us have not heard of this film. It's pretty bad, pretty bad for the most part. And then finally, the last movie I want to mention, because uh, this was such a surprise. I, I couldn't believe how much I liked this film. Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. Have you seen this? No. This is on Instant Watch. Um, and it, some places have it. It's kind of hard to find at this point. This is the last movie that Roger Corman ever directed. I mean, of course, he's still alive and still active in the Hollywood system. But he hadn't made a movie. He hadn't directed a movie in almost almost ten years at this point. This came out in 1990. Um, because it's Corman, I was expecting it to be cheap. I was expecting it to be outrageous and just a total collage of boobs and blood because that's what we get from Roger Corman. This movie is tasteful. It's classy. It has great special effects great matte paintings it stars Raul Julia John Hurt Jason Patrick Bridget Fonda and the late Michael Hutchins from in, from in excess um, wow it is about a scientist who goes back in time discovers that Mary Shelley actually wrote Frankenstein about a, a scientist that she was aware of and that the monster is actually kind of psychologically torturing Frankenstein and and basically like he's the the real villain of the piece as opposed to other films where Frankenstein has been portrayed as sympathetic the monster uh, Frankenstein's monster is played by Nick Brimble he played little John in in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves and his appearance as Frankenstein and the way he plays Frankenstein is very unique for this type of movie and the film ends with a twist ending that I just loved it's uh, it's it's a really interesting sci-fi idea um, the film is incredibly silly and goofy as you would expect from Roger Corman but 
um, this is the kind of film that I think we always wondered if Corman could ever make a movie this good. And it's really, really good. For a B movie, it is top notch. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The performance is good. Like Raul Julia is actually a really good Victor Frankenstein, and Jason Patrick as as uh, I think Lord Byron. It's uh, you know, it's a strange movie, and there's nothing else like it out there. And it certainly has those campy moments. But for the most part, <coughs> it it takes itself very seriously. It is about how art can can transform us internally, and I I like the film very much. Interesting. That's it for me. Right on. Okay, well, let's go ahead and move on to what came out in theaters this past weekend and uh, have some interesting discussions. Matthew McConaughey's attempt at acting, act, actorly redemption in The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro in Limitless. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in Paul. And a limited, limited release, excuse me, Paul Giamatti in Win Win. Cool. And I think the only thing we saw was Ethan and I both saw Paul. You didn't see anything else, did you, Ethan? I don't have the time. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, then. Well, yes, they're, they're, if you've read my review on the site, you know I have a huge problem with part of the movie, but I think I kind of want to save that for the end of the discussion. Uh, do you want to just talk about the movie in general first? Sure. What did you think of it, Ethan? Not funny at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, For the most part, I'd have to agree. I think it captured the magic of Comic-Con somewhat. But I think if the movie had ended at Comic Con, it would have it, it would have been a, a far better film. Yeah, like the only things in the movie that made me laugh with three things: the Mac and Me reference. Of course, I was the only person in the theater who laughed at that. The capturing the Friedman's reference. I thought that was funny. And Kristen Wiig's running joke with her swearing. I thought that was kind of amusing. That was kind, of, it was three, kind of a Star Trek Four Spock swearing kind of throwback. Yeah. Yeah, those three things. Only thing that got like a smile out of me. Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. That that's about, that's about it. Like Sigourney Weaver was stunt casting on the worst order, I think. What what was why was she in a dress at the end? That was what confused me. Oh, because she said in, before you know, like earlier in the film, that she had to be at a governor's ball in an hour or something. So I'm guessing she was going to take care of things and then go to the ball. That, that's actually that's actually kind of funny. Four things now. Four things I find funny. <laughs> How did it capture the magic of Comic Con? It's just the, the opening scene is just them walking around Comic Con, seeing all this geeky, nerdy stuff, and it reminded me very much of when I went last year. Was it just literally for, shot there? Parts of it were, yes. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think had the film ended at Comic Con, two geeks running around with, with an alien in Comic Con with feds chasing them, I think would have been hilarious. There, there's a, a, there's a lot more potential than where they went with it. How is Jason Bateman? There, he's in it. Mm. Answers my question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was gonna say like uh, I I think this movie is a representation of how talented Edgar Wright is. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I was gonna go there, but I understand what you're saying. And like I love Greg Matola, but and you know knowing like his how good his past films are and his taste in film in general, I cannot see him being like artistically satisfied by this movie at, at in any way. Do you think maybe it was met with some compromise by the studio or something like that? Yeah, I like humor in the movie just feels very broad. Like it's a lot of like poop and pee and fart and. and they've said that they had and, to cut a lot of the, the geek references out to try to make it appeal to more of an audience, just because they were scared of another Scott Pilgrim happening. Like, like I said, the only I, I was the only person in the theater who laughed at the Mac and Me reference. So. <laughs> I was like, wow, they went to Mac and Me. Okay, that's a 1988 movie. That's a. Yeah, that's, they definitely know who their audience is if they're going for that. And they have scenes where Nick Frost randomly starts shouting things in Klingon. And, hmm. Yeah. But there were times, too, when the references just like felt they were bad. Like It felt like something out of Fanboys or something. Where, exactly. like, uh, 
Like, I think within the span of 10 minutes, a character says, I'm on a mission from God. Smile, you son of a bitch, and get away from her, you bitch. And it's like, oh my God, it's like the worst. A lot of the geek references are very forced, especially when you had the the I, the one that killed it for me was when they were when they were playing the Star Wars Cantina theme in the country bar. Oh yeah, I was just like, what? Okay, I understand it's a geek world and all, but come on, that's kind of pushing it a little bit there. Hmm. So yeah, uh, honestly, I, it's not definitely not their best film. Um, they're I think they're definitely capable of better. I, I don't know. I mean, Peg had a good hand in writing Spaced and writing Shaun of the Dead and writing Hot Fuzz. I mean, so the man's got talent. I just don't think it was on display here. I really don't. I think it's a mediocre film at best. There's a reason it's Again, not I, Yeah, I didn't I didn't hate it. It's kind of the thing. It's so, like, harmless that it's kind of hard to hate, but, yeah, nah. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the full weekend estimates, and wow, yeah, it looks like Paul isn't even on the top three. Hmm. It was act- it was actually full when I saw it uh, yesterday, and I was like, of course, the whole audience laughing at all these like super broad jokes, and me, only guy laughing at the Mac and Me reference. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, well, it made a whopping thirteen million dollars. That's a lot, actually, for that film. Yeah, yeah, it cost forty to make, so it, it'll it'll make its budget back. Yeah, you know, definitely. Stuff, well, that's but... amazing because that's a that's a way bigger opening than, than Scott Pilgrim, isn't it? It may be, yeah. Scott, that's Scott also Pilgrim was like nine million, right? It's also on almost three thousand screens too. Hmm. What's just, number one? Uh, Limitless. Looks like. How Lincoln 19, Lawyer do? Nineteen? Huh? How what? Lincoln Lawyer? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirteen point four. <laughs> so Paul beat it? No, no. Oh. Paul's at like thirteen point one. Okay. So is Battle of L.A. still number one? Number three, fourteen point six, and then Rango is number two. Ah. Oh. Woo. Limitless number one. Huh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised Rango's holding on so well because that movie is so just not audience friendly. You know, the reviews are so good for that film. It seems like it, it's one of these films that, like, because I, I hear that a lot. Like, it's really not for kids. We're not sure who the movie's for, but we loved it. Like, I, I hear people say, like, it's very hard to define, but because it's because it embraces old movie tropes and whatnot, it's it's really like this really unique and special film. So, all right, do we want to get to the controversy? I suppose. Sure. Right. Okay. So, so I, I was not a fan of the way, the way the film treated religion. I think that's that's putting it very nicely. Um, man, you know this this was supposed to come off as as a fun, geeky, nerdy sci-fi road trip movie, and it seemed like when Kristen Wiig came on board, it took about five minutes to turn around and become Richard Dawkins screaming at people who believe in God. No, uh, okay. Now I'm coming at this uh, as someone who uh, does not believe in his Lord Jesus Savior. Yeah. The yeah the uh, spaghetti flying spaghetti monster or whatnot. But I honestly like you watch this movie. It's a joke. Like it's not meant to be taken seriously at all. Like I don't understand how you could get angry at this. It, it came off as so stinking mean-spirited about the thing. It wasn't, I mean... Well, the movie's mean-spirited towards, like, everybody in it, so it's, like, it's no different than the geeks, like, being virgins or the FBI agents being idiots or whatever. It's, like, everyone in the movie's a caricature. I, oh, man. Maybe it's just the complete lack of talent on display of, of, of doing a spoof? I don't know. That's entirely possible. That they're like, hey, let's make this a spoof and we're just going to make it fun, and it just didn't come off that way because the movie isn't that fun overall. 
Uh, but it, and and honestly, I probably would have been okay with it if they just left it there. But they went they made, went out of their way to bring it back at the end of the film. And to me, it felt. I mean, I'll roll with a whole lot of stuff. I mean, I don't mind religious for crying out loud. But I, I think it seems like they were like, we need to put something else in there, and it, it, it that those particular scenes seemed out of place and even more just mean spirited and brutal than the rest of the film to me. Okay. I mean, I, I like. I imagine us like watching. If we saw this movie together, like you'd be like sitting in your seat, like fuming, like and like banging your your head, your uh, armrest or whatever. And I'd just be like sitting there checking my iPhone for the time and like <laughs> picking my beard and like playing with my Diet Coke cup and stuff. And honestly, I wasn't getting like all all super pissy during the movie, really. It was afterwards. It just it, it honestly shocked me that it was in there in that particular way. And then after when it hit again at the end, I was just like, "Why? Why are you going here in this particular fashion?" And it didn't make any sense. And I start yes, I got started getting more and more upset after I finished watching the film. But I don't know it. Oh, it really caught me wrong. Um, yeah, because either they're completely talentless hacks who have no who who can't do any kind of. Um, satire properly or it was incredibly mean-spirited i don't know which one's worse i seriously doubt that like simon Pegg and nick frost and greg matola are like you know like uh i don't know gonna like bomb a church or something i just think again they're everyone in the movie is a caricature it just fits in with that, but whatever. Well, and had, had, well, and I totally agree that Kristen Wiig is a caricature. Absolutely. I, I can totally roll with that. Um, it was everyone else's actions to it. And on, honestly, I don't see it as them bashing on Christians. I see them bashing on religion, period. If you have faith, you, you've got to screw loose. Well, I think part of it is the fact that they're, since it's partly a science fiction movie in a way, they're trying to... They're trying to get jokes out of that kind of difference between science and religion, not necessarily because they believe in that or whatever, just because there is that inherent kind of difference between the two that can be potential for comedy, you know. And there can be that difference, absolutely. But I mean, I I don't know. I I think it was a very wrong-headed decision to put it in the film. Did you find it more offensive though than say South Park? Oh, absolutely, because South Park makes fun of everybody, and they also do it well. But. I'm just listening because I haven't seen the film. Yeah, yeah. I'm just listening to what Ethan's saying. It sounds like that again. This is a film where they're mocking everything in their universe, to an extent. Yes, yeah. to an extent. But I, it to would you say that 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 the satire that you're going to find in South Park or Eddie Izzard or anything like that was probably far better pull, pulled off than it was in Paul? Yeah, because it's funny. <laughs> and maybe it's just the fact that the movie wasn't funny that that it just really caught me wrong because it just was just such a bad so badly and poorly executed if it was a joke hmm. so you're gonna but i mean you said I, as of right now it's gonna take a lot for me to to, to go back to to them because that was just so wrong-headed and the fact that no one was like hey maybe change this a, just a little bit i'm not saying that you don't need to have those jokes in there do them better if you're gonna ma- mock someone do it right. If you're not, if you're going to half-ass it, don't do it. Now, granted, you can probably make that argument for the entire movie of Paul. So. But you're getting rid of all your I'm, I'm debating it. I'm, de- stuff, I'm right? debating it. Okay. Okay. 
I'm 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 absolutely. This could be like a Return of the Jedi. You're just like burning all your stuff and standing <laughs> like in space, there all solemnly. Like in space. Well, no, and and I want to throw this out here because like I respect both of your opinions, and Dave, I've known you for a number of years now, and I I completely I don't freak out like this. That's what I was getting at, because like, <laughs> but aside from comic book movies, aside from like Wolverine, uh, what was X Men Origins? Other than like movies like that. You're you're probably the most even keeled person on this show, which I you know which which is great. So when you got really upset about this, I was very concerned because I thought, well, wow, especially over these guys, because yeah. you're the one who said, Barry, let's sit down and watch Spaced right now. You know, so yeah. I'm I'm amazed that I imported uh, Shaun of the Dead for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah, so I'm very amazed that that these guys are are really incurring your wrath. Um, because I mean, like you know, I because again, I have not seen the film. I would assume that if the movie doesn't work, you would just go, you know what, this is a film that doesn't work for these guys because that's how I felt about Run, Fat Boy, Run. I hate that film, but I just say, you know, it, it didn't work for him. And and uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the execution is just that god-awful, but it 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 pissed me off. Is this the worst run. thing you've seen so far this year? Um, I don't know about that. I, I think overall, it's it's like Ethan said, it's mostly harmless. It's not going to you know change your world. I'm kind of bummed that I spent the money to go see it, but... What do you do? I, I expect better things from them in the future, for sure. Sure. This I got in for free. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you were the smart one, Ethan. <laughs> and when you said not funny, that just kind of really, yeah, it does sum it up overall. Like when you had, oh, what's her name? Sue Sylvester. Oh, she's in it? Yeah. Yeah, she's in it. For some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why. That whole scene was there just to set up the thing with the hillbillies, I guess, but it wasn't, it was just kind of there, which is a lot of the scenes in that movie. So is is it not as good as Fanboys? Would it be a good double feature with Fanboys? It's, it's at least at, at its best. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, this. Okay, Fanboys makes this movie look like Putney Swope. <laughs> fanboys is one of the worst movies of all time. I, as much as I don't like this, I'd still rather watch this like twenty times in a row than ever watch three minutes of Fanboys ever again in my entire life. Because the thing about fanboys that I mean, even I admit, like sunk that movie was the stupid, you know, cancer subplot and whatnot. Um, but I mean, Dave, you're making it sound like this is that they're that you feel like the really wrong-headed attack on religion is is on that level of just being wrong-headed and being just a bad miscalculation. It, it's either that or there's some of the most cold-hearted evil SOBs I've ever come across and never shown it before. Is anybody else expressed this? I'm just curious. Um, like, I, I haven't have read the reviews to or anything. Chris from Over the Jesus Geeks who saw it, he actually went on a date to see it and. We talked the next day, and he's like, I, I, it didn't make sense in that. It, it seemed like completely out of place from the rest of the film. Hmm. But the rest of the film isn't that great in the first place. So, I mean, it, it's not something I think anyone ever needs to see, honestly. Okay. Would you, would you go there with that, Ethan? Well, if you're a Bill Hader completist, maybe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, yeah, two feds. I, I, they weren't even funny stupid. It was just... Like the three boobs joke, I think I chuckled maybe once at, but the the fact that he did it like what fifteen times in the movie, just tried to make it a running gag, and it died after like the second time. They make a total recall joke. Do you want to explain that one, Ethan? Uh, it's established in the film that Nick Frost is a science fiction author, and yeah. uh, he shows his book around at frequent points, and on it's a chick with three boobs, and that's what everyone always notices. That's like, like awesome. the first thing. Hmm. Yeah, that that's that's the running joke of the movie. <laughs> that's there the running gag right of the film. Wow, right there. I'm almost tempted to see this film just to 
just to have perspective on this conversation, which is a good conversation. I'm just I'm very bewildered because uh, you and me both. I, I was still I was out expecting you to, I, honestly, Dave. Like when you said you were going to go see this film, and I re- I really regret now that I didn't get to see this with you because um, you asked like well, let's go see, it. and I, I I had other things I was doing that day, but like I really thought we'd be here and you'd be like the one really defending it or just saying you know, and unfortunately this movie does live up to Jack's review. I was not expecting this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bad movie more than anything else. Religion stuff aside, it's a bad movie. So okay, I think we can go there. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and talk about what's in DVD because wow, we're like forty minutes in. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Well, the aforementioned "How Do You Know," which Ethan and I liked, and the rest of America said nope. Um, Yogi Bear, which America loved, which says a lot about America. America. We're gonna yeah. get to other things that talk about Amer- just how you can expect Americans to react. Okay. You know what, Americans listening to this, I love my country. I love my people. I love my state. But we and got I love some Hawaii. idiots here. We get some people who will go see Yogi Bear and will not go see the new James Earl Brooks movie, and that angers me. Hey, when I was in Toronto, I remember when I was seeing True Grit, I was waiting in line to get tickets. Two adults in front of me at a theater playing Black Swan and True Grit were buying tickets to see Yogi Bear. So, <laughs> oh. So North America, okay. <laughs> you know, again, I got nothing against us as a country as a whole, but man, our, some of our movie-going habits are just appalling, appalling. Yeah. Um, a film that actually was not a big hit, uh, although it wasn't a huge flop, despite despite the word of mouth, but uh, The Tourist, starring Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp from the director of The Lives of Others. I got to see this thing, because I got to see what the heck happened here. Um the new film from the Strauss Brothers, Skyline, which is supposed to be one of last year's worst films, if not one of the worst science fiction films of all time. That is what I've heard. I'm not just just because they haven't seen Paul. <laughs> Paul is our <laughs> Paul is our new kicking boy for this show. <laughs> and then finally, uh, one of the finest films of the '80s, certainly one of the best films Rob Reiner ever made. Uh, Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Jerry O'Connell, and Corey Feldman all top notch in uh, Stand by Me. Now available in a 25th anniversary edition. Some nice. decent stuff, some crap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I look forward to seeing Stand By Me again. Every time I go back to that film, I just think, man, this film is a lot more powerful and a lot more honest than I remember. Because I remember them, I remember them on the train tracks singing Lollipop and this and the the puke story and stuff like that. But like the dramatic scene, like particularly that moment where where Will Wheaton lets his guard down and tells uh, and tells River Phoenix about his father. That scene is so powerful. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just like, man, this is you know, Will Wheaton, if nothing else, can take credit for having like one of the great great child performances. I think it's cinema i mean he's incredible all four of them are excellent in that film cool all right well, let's move on to some news uh, let's get the yeah whatever um shocker kevin costner has finally confirmed to play jonathan kent pa kent we've taught, known this for a couple of weeks but it's just been confirmed yippee and zach snyder uh in the same in the same article i think said that he is officially not making a film that has any continuity with superman completely new superman new superman theme this is not your dad's superman movie wait does this does will richard Pryor be in it or not (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't that be dave Chappelle in this case oh man i i will only see this if richard Pryor is in it (laughs) That could be a little difficult. It'd be interesting if they could bring him back the way they brought like Marlon Brando back in the last Superman movie. Like they have like some outtakes of him as that character in Superman three. They could just kind of digitally put into the movie. Wow. But of course, it's Zack Snyder, so it'd be Zach, it would be prior in slow motion. Yes, yes. Uh, then fast, then slow, then fast, then slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, they finally knocked. Uh, they, they, they were able to finally lock down Liam Neeson to come back for Taken Two, Your Sister's Werewolf, and yeah. 
You know what? That's, it could be fun. That's it, the only reason I'd see it because they were talking about replacing it with someone else. Like, no, the why? only reason that movie worked because was because of Liam. I'm sorry. Like, no offense to fans. It's like of it's like the one, Marine but, Two without John Cena. Yeah, like seriously, if you're gonna do the take, if you're gonna take in two, it's gotta be Liam. Gotta be Liam because I mean that's the only reason Unknown was watchable is because of Liam Neeson. So, so if they bring him back as that character, I think people would be very curious. Yes. What have you got, Barry? I've got a whole bunch of news. So I want you guys. Pepper okay. Day. Well, I got some. Um, you know. I, I got to mention this. I mean, last week I mentioned uh, the Twin Peaks Festival is up and running. It's going to happen August 5th uh, through the 7th in North Bend, Washington. Well, officially confirmed as one of the guests of honor this year, Cheryl Lee, Laura Palmer herself, is nice. going to be there. Yeah, this is a very big deal. She has not been at the Twin Peaks Festival since its inception back in 1992 when she was there for the premiere of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. So this is very, very cool that she's going to be there for that. You going to try to go? Trying, I, I with my master's study and all that, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. But man, do I want to! If I, if I can somehow figure out a way to go, I will go. Cool, right on. Was that it you had, or I a couple more? Um, well, uh, at the SXSW, one of the, the festival, of course, South in Austin, Southwest, Texas, yes. South by Southwest. Sorry, I always call it the SXSW. South by Southwest Festival, um, one of the unqualified big monster hits in terms of audience reception, and certainly a lot of the critics would have to be Jodie Foster's The Beaver. It got a round of applause. Critics are loving it. Even though critics who say the film doesn't work or is totally a mess, they say uh, Mel Gibson is back. So... This is this you know I gotta say this holds very promisingly for the film, which a lot of people said might have been unreleasable or you know people wouldn't even give it a shot. But but according to this, uh, according to these responses, the Beaver has a chance at, at maybe becoming a surprise hit. I, I assume the leaked ending I heard about isn't actually the actual ending because I think if that were the ending, that's all you would be hearing about about this movie. I don't know. So. Yeah, I, I'm trying to avoid any plot descriptions, but. Yeah, I, I won't yeah. tell, but still, I, I assume it's different than what I initially heard. Yeah, well, I mean, you read the script, right? I, I was on a Jeffrey Wells' blog, and I ex- he was kind of talking about it, and I clicked on it, and he spoiled the ending, and I was like, ah. You gotta hate when that happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe you could confirm or naysay this, but Ethan, what I've heard is that it kind of becomes Black Swan with a beaver. I was tr- thinking uh, more 127 hours, but... Okay. Well, okay. All well, right, then. We'll see. All right. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about Wonder Woman in a second, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I want to present this, this with a question. Um, who do you think is going to be more favored by the public by the end of the year, Mel Gibson or Charlie Sheen? Um, we haven't really covered Charlie Sheen news on this show before, but you know this is this is definitely worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning that 25 years ago, Charlie Sheen was the star of Platoon, the Oliver Stone film, which won Best Picture. Now, today in 2011, Charlie Sheen is currently overseeing. This is the title now: Charlie Sheen's Violent Torpedo of Truth. Defeat is not an option. Tour 2011. Um, this originally wow. was going to be an event that began at, uh, <laughs> at, Mad- at not Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, um, but the two concert dates sold out automatically, so now there are 12 additional dates. Now, before I mention the dates, um, tickets for this thing range from seventy nine fifty. those are the cheap seats, uh-huh. seventy nine fifty. The expensive ones are 519 but listen to this, folks, for $750, you get to meet Charlie Sheen backstage. For how much? $750. Thank you, Charlie Sheen, for no longer making me feel like a freak for spending a lot of money to see Kevin Smith and, no his, Red Sm- and his Red State tour. He just turned Red State into a, an affordable option. Yeah, very, a cheapy option. Um, 
in addition to the New York shows, additional concert venues include Ontario, Canada. That's uh, that's on the 14th of April. Um, so, Ethan, you have to go to that. Um, yay. yay. And then coming up, let's see, we got New Jersey, Washington, D.C., Florida, uh, Georgia, Texas, and Denver. He's coming to Denver. Oh, no. Uh, no, no. You know, as much as I dug cooking with Charlie Sheen, that was hilarious. I just, I don't know if he can pull off a full show. I, I maybe, maybe you thought of this too, guys. Like, uh, remember the ending of the assassination of Jesse James? Remember how outrageous it seemed that Ro- that Robert uh, that Robert Ford would like, you know, like the, for like hundreds of times do this like stage show where he would reenact assassinating jesse james this that no longer seems like such a far-fetched idea now <laughs> and that people would go to that like over and over again like who the heck were these people who who sold out two charlie sheen shows i mean we don't even know what the heck this is i mean this thing hasn't even started yet this could be i mean like how can people not walk out going i feel ripped off that was not what i thought it would be isn't this bizarre? Because, like, remember when Henry Rollins first started doing his, you know, his talking tours? People were like, well, that's not cool. It's not Black Flag. I mean, it's just him talking. Who would go see that? And now we know that's, like, one of the best tickets for your money out there. Oh, yeah. But this, like, what the heck is this? What, is he going to rant about about two and a half men? Is he just going to take questions from the audience? Is he going to sing? Is this going to be, like, a parody it's, of this kind of thing? It's actually going to end with, I don't know if you remember this old Looney Tunes thing where, uh, where Daffy Duck had the biggest finish ever. And he'd like chug gasoline and gunpowder and everything, and then swallow a match. Right. And the crowd goes nuts, and Bugs is like, "You're a hit." He's like, "Yeah, it's great, except I can only do it once." That's right. And he comes back as a ghost, and yeah. he's on the yeah, he's like a see-through ghost on the stage. Yeah, I do remember that. That would make sense. Um, but anyway, yeah. So if you're interested, uh, it is Charlie Sheen's. I'm going to say this again because I love this title. Charlie Sheen's violent torpedo of tu- of truth defeat is not an option. Tour 2011. The poster for this thing, I love it. It's Charlie Sheen dressed up like a samurai with long flowing hair, laser beams. <laughs> coming out of his hands as he's flying. It sounds like Sucker Punch. <laughs> Strangely enough, it does. Well played, sir. Cool. Is that it for you? Last thing I wanted to mention, of course, was the Wonder Woman costume, which everybody's buzzing about because it, uh, according to the Fox News Network, it is not patriotic enough. Oh, who cares about that? Okay, I'm going to read my, my Facebook post. She looks like a hooker who just got busted and is getting ready to be taken into night court by bull. That's, that's what that costume looks like. I couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, it looks like she's going to like a sexy superhero costume party. But this, this is this our new them? Wonder Woman. Oh, I, I saw it. My favorite my favorite comment about it was, "Wow, the invisible jet looks really good." Yeah. When's this come on? I have no. It hasn't even been greenlit, greenlit yet. Oh, for Pete's Officially. sake! So it's just that. I feel stupid in reporting this. I thought this was legit. So, like, we don't even no, have no, no. anything. Apparently, we just have appara- an actress? No, apparently it's legit. Okay. But it just hasn't been completely greenlit. I think they're doing the pilot or something like that. Okay. They haven't even shot a pilot yet? Oh, for Pete's sake. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Ethan, what have you got, sir? <laughs> uh, Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie has officially gotten funding and distribution from uh, Mark Cuban's distribution company. Oh, cool. So we'll be able to see this at all the landmarks. Yeah. So we can nice. go see it at the, the Greenwood. That should, that's the kind of movie you see at the Greenwood. Interesting. But this reminds me when um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force did their movie and, and played in like four screens in Colorado. <laughs> wow. And Josh was there for when it opened and closed. It does have one of the greatest openings ever. Tim and Eric? No, the Aqua Teen movie. Oh, no question. With that's the best death metal don't talk in the movie. That's oh, yeah. the best part of that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you got anything else, sir? That was my only story. Okay, I've got a few more. Um, oh, wow. You got some good ones. Yeah, two of them are going to... 
Red Dawn is changing the bad guys from Chinese people to North Korean bad guys by digitally changing the patches because apparently us uh, uh, us dumb Americans can't tell the difference between different Asian cultures. Yes. That's a much nicer version than what I was going to say before. I appreciate that, Dave. <laughs> um, no, I, I appreciate you bringing this up because uh, that was yeah, one of my problems. Yeah, because all Asians look alike. Yeah, that's that, totally what this movie is saying. That was my problem with Memoirs of a Geisha. There are very few Japanese people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. it's all Chinese actors. I'm serious. It's, uh, yeah, almost all Chinese. Ken Watanabe is Japanese. Yuki Kudo, who has a very small supporting role in that movie, was Japanese. But otherwise, yeah, it was all Chinese Zhang actors. Zhang It's like, she's... She's Chinese. She's on. not Japanese. I no. saw Rush Hour, people. <laughs> Well, you know, like, I'm going to just throw it out there. I mean, look, growing up in Hawaii, I had a lot of Chinese and Japanese friends. And, yes, you can tell the difference between a Japanese person and a Chinese person. Um, But this is interesting because, like, initially I I, I didn't really fully think this through because I I thought it was interesting that they were going to digitally change all the signs to make it that it's going to be North Korean invasion instead of a Chinese invasion. And and that – I mean, like, for Pete's sake, Kim Jong-il has been around forever. Like, why didn't they think of this before? This yeah. would make so. I mean, this this always made sense that it would be North Korea because well, for Pete's sake, both you can make an argument for either one for crying out loud. I mean, what did they watch the Olympics and get terrified all a Cartman and think like the Chinese were going to get us? <laughs> so like, I mean, for Pete's sake, like for me, this this always made sense for me. Like, like North Korea, you know, not to like you know stir anything up, but I mean, like North Korea has always been like the next like the Russians, you know, in terms of like movie bad guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's it's so weird to me that like they th- I, they're thinking about this this late in the game. But no, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, because you know there are going to be you know people watching this going, you know, that's that's not a North Korean. That is clearly someone who is Chinese American. In fact, yeah. Oh so. man, yeah. No, 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 no good comments, Ethan. Uh, I'm just going to, I think it's the best for me just to stay out of this one. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Cause I, I was going to go further than what I, what I said before the show. So yeah, I, we don't, we don't want to add to the brown face and the, the, the ape face. Any and other the, unfortunate sound bites coming from screen Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, second to last one, uh, Darren Aronofsky has jumped ship on Wolverine because he apparently didn't look at the schedule and notice he was going to be out of town for a year. <laughs> Does anyone actually buy this? There's my question. I heard he, he wanted to, after Black Swan did so well, he wanted complete control, and Fox was like, no. And he was like, okay, I'll just leave then. Like, I'm surprised they didn't look at RoboCop and be like, you know, if we don't do what he wants, he's going to walk. Like, it's not like it was magically, oh, out of nowhere, I'm not going to do something that sucks. Well, honestly, this is the best news I've heard all week. Well, that he's not doing it. Uh, you know, if he had... My, my position on it has always been, if he sticks through this, this with this thing all the way through, it's because he got what he wanted and he made the movie he wanted to make. If he walked, it's because it was going to suck and he wasn't going to get to do what he wanted. We weren't going to get an Aronofsky movie. So for that, in, well, that, I mean, in that way, even, even if this was good, like, what would you rather have? Uh, an Aronofsky-directed X-Men movie or, like, an original concept about, like, a schizophrenic astronaut or something by him? Like, what would you rather have? Well, here's the thing. What the, I think the bigger question is, what would this have set up if the film was a blockbuster and had taken off? He probably could have done the Noah's Ark epic, like, in a, in a heartbeat. No one would even blink at giving him the budget to do it. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I'm completely like somewhere in the middle of the argument that you guys are making. Because I I agreed with Ethan when I heard he was going to do this. I thought, no, don't make Wolverine. No, don't. But then, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right, Dave. I mean, like if anybody made this movie, I would say, okay, this guarantees this is going to be at least a good film, if not a great film. Considering it was based off the Frank Miller work about the samurai time when, he, well, the time that he was in in Japan. I thought that he was a great fit for it because it was definitely darker material. I, I was going to say, too, I, I don't know if filming a movie in Japan is the best idea right now. Well, okay. Mm. 
Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think that even entered the, the equation. Well, couldn't they have? I mean, do they had? Do they well, have to make a, this film in Japan? They're at least a year off from filming the thing anyway, I think. Hmm. So that's a whole other. Yeah, I mean, you can make that work. Well, I'm sure Brett Ratner's like, he cannot wait to like knock He's on the He's sitting by the He's phone. Like, My time to shine. He's sitting by the phone. Come on. Come on. X-Men 3 wasn't as bad as Wolverine. Give me a shot. Hmm. It wasn't. I I saw them both once, and I I really don't think about them that much. Yeah. Were it not for you bringing it up, and, and your your rancor for those films, I don't think I would even think about them. Yeah, you know? they <laughs> just enough. they have not stayed with me. Fair enough. And then finally, uh, we'll end the uh, this bit on a a bit of a sad note. Uh, we lost Michael Go this week. Yeah, uh, Alfred in the original Batman movies and. And the countless Hammer yeah. films, countless Hammer horror movies. Yeah, the, the man brought class. Oh yeah, yeah, to whatever he did. Yeah, and a lot of uh, other Tim Burton movies. I mean, I always remember his uh, his really weird participation in The Corpse Bride, where he's this this guy who loves. He's an alcoholic skeleton, but like the the you know the drink goes right through him every time. Um, yeah, what a wonderful actor, and and I think it was you know I don't usually read uh, the ain't it cool spots on uh, on on like uh, celebrities that have passed away because they tend to get like snarky or whatever, but and not because of Harry, but just because of like additional comments or whatever. But there was uh, there was somebody who did point out it might have been Harry, in fact, that his what he brought to Batman and Robin is easily the best thing about that movie. Oh yeah, the scene his his scene with uh, George Clooney is the heart of that film, and it's the very best thing about that movie yes anyway it was a wonderful actor like his the the amount of films that this guy did like go so beyond the films that we mentioned i mean he did so many hammer horror films such a such a wonderful lovely presence such a just a uh, just a great actor who brought so much authenticity to to whether no matter how crazy the roles got just wonderful actor he shall be missed or uh, thoughts go to his family and and friends Uh, let's take a quick break we will come back and we will uh talk about wow the mistakes we've made in movies Sue Ellen Greenblatt is a real person, not an internet celebrity. So we've enlisted Billy Flynn and the vicar to help her tell her story. Geek Radio Daily gives me geeky news about movies, new DVD releases, even comics and gaming. Geek Radio Daily makes me feel special. Ah, yeah. Womanly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the episodes are just 15 minutes, perfect for my commute, or for just geeking out while I'm at the office. Mm. All in one concise love package. Ooh, the package, baby. Uh-huh. And the best part is that it's a daily cast, so I'm always in the loop. Sometimes I listen to it out of the bath, put on little outfits. Ah! It makes me want to invite all my friends over to show how refreshed I feel. Mm, a slumber party, baby. What? That's not what I said. Get out the chocolate mousse. Duct tape. Oh, get out of here, you freaks. Geek Radio Daily. One 15-minute podcast provides 15% of the USDA-recommended daily allowance of geeky goodness. Subscribe through iTunes or visit geekradiodaily.com. And we're back, and this segment was called I Was Wrong! So we're going to talk about films that we've kind of turned a complete leaf on. Films that I think initially we thought were going to be duds and we were surprised. Films that we loved as kids and we look at now and go, wow, uh, we were completely wrong. Um, or basically just any film I think we kind of just flipped our flipped our take on. I, I'm, I'm going to go with the first horror movie, like outright horror movie I watched all the way through that, like, oh, it's going to be scary. My buddy turns it on and... We laughed so hard. I know I've mentioned in the past, but I think it was Poltergeist 3. Poltergeist 3. Yeah, you've mentioned that a few oh times gosh. in this show. <laughs> like, that's one of those movies that, oh, 
Oh, so that bad. scared me as a kid. Just the whole idea of like being attacked by your reflection that scared me. I just was laughing too hard through the movie, which is probably good. Yeah, and, and no question, it doesn't hold up well at all. But uh, no, it, it it definitely freaked me out when I was a young and just because uh, you know I'm was one of those kids who loved to look in the mirror. So the thought of like my reflection turning on me and starting to strangle me just yeah, you you love to look in the mirror, Barry. You're a very uh, <laughs> oh no self, uh, I was very much thinking I was like Zach Morris when I was like 13 years old. You know, I was like I spent way too much time in front of the mirror making sure my hair was all right, my skin checked out. You know, but yeah. So like the thought of like that turning against me was was very frightening. This isn't a week ago, Ethan. No, this no. is like when I was like 12 years old, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll just mention it. Uh, Benji the Hundred was a big one for me. Oh, God. Why right, that's you, all I'm going to say. Why that's do you all I'm pick say, on I'm that done. film? Because it's so bad. I love Benji the Hundred. That's the only Benji movie I like because there's no pesky humans. He's just running around. And oh, on the same stretch of path the yeah, entire movie. Yeah. And he's got to save the little cubs from the evil wolf. Because the forest is approximately 50 feet square. And like when he out, out, out thinks the wolf and the wolf accidentally jumps off the cliff. I love that. It's a I great was waiting movie. For, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for the puff of smoke at the bottom of the canyon. Well, that like that really taught me about like the circle of life even before like The Lion King. It's like, man, that, that is brutal, man. That wolf is falling to his death right now. And he shouldn't have screwed with Benji. Nobody should screw with Benji. <laughs> I like that movie. I don't know why you're so... There, there, there's some bad Benji movies. That's, that's, that's one of the better ones. There was one with uh, Chevy Chase called Oh, Heavenly Dog, where Chevy Chase dies and it comes back as Benji. And the whole movie, like, like Chevy Chase like does the voice of Benji. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it's, wow. seriously, like, I think Benji the Hunter is like one of the better, better I think part of it's because Benji the Hunter, I think, is the only movie I saw in the theater. Oh. The only Benji movie I saw in the theater. And okay. Yeah. It was just was not a good experience. It was just, yeah. I had to choose between seeing that movie and Spaceballs, and I chose Spaceballs. Marty saw Benji the Hunted. I saw Spaceballs. You came out on the better end of that one. Yeah. I think I did. I've, we we yeah. should take turns with this one, because I, right. I can go for a while here. All right. All right. Ethan, why don't you give us one? I have no examples, because I was always right as a child. Okay. There you go. And as, as an adult as well, or? No, he saw Paul. Oh. Okay. So that's right. going to be the gift that keeps on giving for quite some time. All right. Well, let's see. As an adult, um, a, a film that I thought was going to be terrible because the trailers looked terrible and I had no desire to see it. And it wasn't until people really egged me on and said, Barry, you need to see this. And I saw it and I thought it was one of the best films of the year. And that was Mean Girls. Oh, yes. Couldn't believe yeah. how good Mean Girls was because that trailer, I mean, all they show, all they emphasize in the trailer is Lindsay Lohan falling headfirst into a garbage can. Like, it's like Mean Girls, you know. Then they show that clip and like now playing, and I thought that looked that looks terrible, terrible. And then you see the film, like this is this is really really smart, and this is like really, I would I would watch it back to back with Ferris Bueller. I think it is that good. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, I, as much crap as I give Paul what script Anderson, I actually think that Mortal Kombat, the first film, is one of the better video game adaptations that have come out. It was, mm. it was it's a surprisingly decent movie. As a kid, I loved it because I was in high school. Mortal, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, another movie. It's going to have Katana. It's going to have all these characters. I can't wait. I'm there opening day. I go and I hate that stupid piece of crap. That was actually my first realization of just how bad. Yeah. Oh, that's such a bad movie. Like, Man. like, like it, it's up there with like Super Mario Brothers, as far as I'm concerned. Annihilation's terrible. I remember that. Like the first one I saw once when it came out, I thought it was fun. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's I not amazing, but it's fun. Well, I just remember the music. Oh, yeah. I still yeah. have the soundtrack. Oh yeah. 
That's what I remember. I might have mentioned this. Like, I, I worked at a video store in Maui for many years, and there was a period where every night as I would close the video store, you know, it was in this, like, this little mini strip mall in Maui, as I would close up about 10, 10.30 on the dot, never fail, for about a couple months, some guy in his, like, totally pimped out, you know, uh, car would, would drive around the parking lot, blast that music, and then drive off. Like I don't know what gang he was a part of or what, but he thought it was the coolest thing. He'd be like ten fifteen and and he would like drive in a circle, you know, and his speakers, his alpine speakers would be just like blasting that music, and then he would drive off into the night. You're forgetting the best part of the song. Oh, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yes. No, because I, I remember the first one had Christopher Lambert and it also had Bridget Wilson in it, so it had a good cast. Speaking of Christopher Lambert, he's wait, he's been like a joke his whole career, right? No, no, no. He did. He was very legit for a while, and then he his movies got. I think around the time he did Highlander Two is when his career really went down the toilet. <laughs> but he was oh. he was Tarzan in Greystoke. Um, he did like some really great films. Like even even the first Highlander got a lot of respect when it came out in '86. But I think around the '90s, like that's when a lot of his movies started to go straight to video, and, and they got really really bad. Well, because I saw him recently in uh, Claire Denis' White Material, and like, what the hell is he doing in this movie? This French art house movie? What is he doing? in this and it's and it's like is, is he like is this like ironic casting and thing is he was good in it too so it was like huh. it was just weird yeah he can be good but uh yeah he often isn't remember through the late 80s and or, and through the 90s even um you know anything that the zucker brothers or 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 abrams got a hold of it was gold yeah it was good like they were the comedy gods for our generation for a yeah. long time mm-hmm. So one time, I, one night, get all the guys together, you know, we're going to see movies. We go try to go see movies, you know, a few times a month, whatever. So we decide we're going to go see Jane Austen's Mafia. Mm. That is a good movie. <laughs> oh, I fell asleep during it and had a friend show, elbow me in the shoulder and say, hey, if I got to sit through this, you got to sit through this. That's how bad that movie was. I, yeah, I, I agree with Ethan. I think I, I liked it better than you did. <laughs> I, I remember the parts that I thought were funny. I mean, I thought Olympia Dukakis was horribly wasted. I mean, remember, she's the one who farts and the whole building explodes. Yeah. Like, the only line she has in the whole movie is, Scoozy. Um, but I, I did think Jay Moore was pretty funny. There was a joke about a character who apparently his how should I put it? His doodler is so long that like he's always knocking stuff over, but it's out of out of the camera, so you never get to see like how big his genitalia is. I thought that was funny. There's a joke about the Lost World where the dinosaurs put on like a bib and they get out their forks and knives before they eat a small child. That that was funny. And then yeah, there 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 are parts of it that were pretty amusing, but it, I mean yeah, it's definitely of course it's not up to Airplane or Naked Gun. Or hot I shots. think the only, hot the only things I remember about the movie, I think, wasn't there like a scene beginning they like spoofed the uh, Godfather 2 and it was like, it, like you know, the young Corle- Vito Corleone thing. It's like, I remember the kid, they like put him like up a horse's ass or something. I seem to remember <laughs> a joke about that. Was that in the movie? That might have been. That sounds that sounds about right. I remember like, and, yeah. and I think they played We Are Family over the end credits. That's the only two things I remember about it. But okay. based off that, it's great. I remember that, and it was like the last film that Lloyd Bridges ever did. And of course, his thankless exit scene is the one where he's dancing at the wedding at the beginning of the film. He gets riddled with machine gun bullets, but they think he's just dancing. You know, so that's like his one scene of the film. Um, 
hilarious. Hmm. Yeah, the more I talk about it, I don't know how good this film was. But I, I thought it was funny in 98, but I'm sure it doesn't hold up well. I didn't think it was great, but I remember thinking, like, like I thought it was on the level of, like, the, the Hotshot sequel, you know. Just like Part kind of, Yeah, very hit and miss, but... I think, I think yeah. Hotshots 2 is better. You're probably Easily. right. You're probably right. Yeah, it's been a while well, since Well, because it has... Oh, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> there it is, yes. Uh, to throw another comedy out there that came around around the same time, I will say there's one scene in this movie that makes me still makes me fall down laughing to this day, but Dracula Dead and Loving It was awful. Mm. That's what I, love that, I love that movie, too. Oh. Yeah. The part, f- the part where they're Good. killing the vampire and yeah. the blood splurts everywhere, that's hilarious. I yeah. will give you that. I will grant you that one. And, and you know what? Maybe it should get a pass just based off that scene. But I thought it was such, it was such a miss overall because they let... Leslie Nielsen just played the goofball the whole time instead of the straight man, so they didn't play to his strengths. Hmm. That's just me. I, I see the only thing I can remember about it, and again, it's like Mafia. I can only remember, like, one scene, and based off that, it's great. <laughs> but I think it's a scene where, like, Leslie Nielsen, like, turns into a vampire bat, but his, like, head is still on it. Right. And, like, he flies into, like, a, a window or something. I remember, like, as, as a seven-year-old, that shit was hilarious. <laughs> There you go. I liked it more than most people, but no, I, I agree. It's not. Well, you know what? I think the worst film Mel Brooks ever did was called Life Stinks. That came out about 20 years ago. I think that's a much worse film than Dracula Dead and Loving It. Because me, I, I like Dracula Dead and Loving It because it was it was making fun of the original. For the most part, it really was more than anything making fun of the original Bela Lugosi film, which I liked. Um, and I thought that Steven Weber and um, Amy... Oh, I can't think of her name all of a sudden. The one who was married to John Ritter. Uh, I thought the actors did a, did a fine job with the material. I mean, you know, it was really hit and miss. Some of it was just cheese ball. But I thought that Mel Brooks was a good choice. Ron Helsing. I don't I'm know. like, Carrie Elvis is in this. Dude, it's going to be a great movie. I think there were parts of it that... that Remember when uh, that meant something? <laughs> what, Carrie Elvis? Yeah. Oh, you're talking about Robin Hood. I thought he had a bit in Dracula too. Does he? Am I wrong? That would be, be cool wrong. if he was, because he was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. But anyway, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I didn't think. Of it, I didn't think it was that bad. But no, I agree with you. It was a letdown, especially like these movies are letdowns. If you compare, you know, Mafia to, to Airplane, even Airplane yeah. Two, then yeah, of course, then Dracula, Dead and Loving. The truly bad ones are are, are, are going to be in the I was a stupid kid section. So uh, you keep going. That's mostly what I've got left. Well, you know, I'm just kind of my, my mind's kind of random all over the place. I mean, another movie that I thought I almost avoided this because the trailer I thought looked so stupid, and that was Children of Men. I saw what? Michael. I saw Michael Caine with his stupid wig, and I thought, man, that looks like such a bad film. They're gonna release that on Christmas? No way. And then a certain somebody who I gotta give, I gotta give props to a certain somebody who I used to Mr. Seven out of ten used to yes write for a different website. Um, I was going to a number of screenings with him that day, including uh, Rescue Dawn and Dreamgirls. And one of the last showings of the day that 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 they were screening all these movies for for the critics back in November um, to get kind of a jump on the Christmas movie rush was Children of Men. And he's like, you know, we should go see this. It's supposed to be amazing. And I said, you know, I don't want to see that. That trailer looks stupid, and I don't even know what kind of movie it is. And it, I thought it would look really bad. And I walked out, and I said, you know, that's one of the best films of the year, hands down. So I got to give credit to that to that certain guy because um, otherwise I wouldn't have gone to see that film. All right, then. Yeah. Cool. Um, shall we move on to the I was stupid, I was a stupid kid section? Do we want to jump there so quickly? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, where else do you want to go? I, I, I didn't prepare anything for I was so wrong because I thought it was going to be bad and it turned out to be good. I mean, I can go Godfather 3 if you want. I, 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 and, you know, I'm not a big fan there. You know, A lot of the ones I do would be ones I've already t- 
talked about at length, so okay. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of good on that section. If there's other subsections you want to do, by all means, I can probably go on with stuff. Well, are there ones like you, you've seen and you've just completely changed your opinion about over the last five years? Like that I thought were, were bad and that turned out to be good? Yeah, or, or the opposite, yeah. Um, Little so, Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine, okay. So you, you regret your, your positive take on it? I do, I do. I, I, looking back on it, I don't think it was a top ten movie. Okay. I, okay. I have a, a good example for that. Okay. Oh, you've already turned on it. I still like it, but like I feel embarrassed when like I was like when I saw it, I was like, "Holy crap, this is amazing!" And like I watched it again, I still enjoy it, but just you know, I really want to cover my ears while I watch it. So I just I just regret like I feel like I should have seen it twice in the theater, and I shouldn't have like just waited so long between my first and second viewing, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> wow. I kind of feel that way about Crash, because uh, yeah. I, I love Crash. I, I, and I, for the most part, I stand, I, I still stay with my opinion that I think it's, that it was the finest film of its year, but but considering the other films that came out the year, namely Matchpoint and uh, The New World, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd still put it as number one film of 2005. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought of another one, uh, 500 Days of Summer. I really liked that when the first came. When I saw Blue Valentine, like one of the first thoughts that came to my mind when the end credits of Blue Valentine came onto the screen, man, 500 Days of Summer is kind of a pile of crap. That's going to make Barry happy. Well, that's how I felt about it the first time I saw it. But no, I agree with you. The whole time I'm watching Blue Valentine, I thought this is the movie I wanted to see the first time. And I know it's a, you know, it's not fair because 500 Days of Summer is a completely different film, completely different approach to that to that idea. But uh, it just it felt false to me the the first time I saw it. So. But All I right, agree, the- Blue Valentine's better. Um, let's see, Alien Three. This is a film when I saw in the theater, I thought this is by far one of the worst films of its year. I whenever I go back to Alien Three, I don't think the film completely works, but I like it more because I do see where it fits in David Fincher's filmography. I see the things in it that do work, and I want to be nicer to it because this is really a genre, not a genre. This is really well, I guess the Alien movies are their own genre. This is an idea where every single time we have these movies, a different director is taking their own approach to it, and I like the fact that David Fincher's Alien. Is so different from Ridley Scott's Alien and Jean-Pierre Jeannot's Alien and James Cameron's Alien. I like that we've got four films in the canon. Those films are canon. I like that we got four films in the canon that are so different from each other in tone. I really like that, and I, I I resisted it when I saw it because I'm like, this is not an action movie. This is like not even a horror film. This is a really really dour, somber meditation on death. Um, but I do like Alien Three more now than than I did in 1992. Resurrection's gone downhill. I'm just saying. I like Resurrection. I'm the one who liked Resurrection. I, I didn't mind it when it came up. I was just like, that that's an Aliens movie? Really? Looking at it knowing that Joss Whedon wrote it and kind of seeing the blueprint He wrote of, a version of it. There's so much of Firefly in that film. Well, those, there is, Those yes. space pirates are all prototypes for the cast and crew of, of, of Firefly, and I love the film for that. You see that. There are moments that work beautifully. Um, yeah, I do like Resurrection. I do. The ending doesn't work at all, and, and everybody knows why the ending doesn't work. Um, oddly enough, the added ending that they have on the Aliens Quadrilogy disc that they shot and didn't use for some reason, where you see Ripley on Earth, I think that's a much, much stronger finish for that movie. I don't know why they didn't use it. All right, then. Cool. Uh, it's Superman 3. First time I saw it, I was like, oh, comic book movies should be dark. 
then I watched it again. And I'm like, I love this. is my, by far my favorite comic book movie of all time. Wow. <laughs> that is truly unique. Because, man, like, that film has not grown on me at all. But uh, I appreciate that opinion because I think you're the, gu- you're the guy. Who you're, feels, you're the guy. You are the guy who feels that way about Superman 3. And that is unique. I do respect that. I do. I'm writing my thesis on it. <laughs> I would love to read that. Um, Roman Polanski's The Tenant. I hated The Tenant when I first saw it in college. Hated it. Um, this is the one Roman Polanski stars as well as directs. It's based on the brilliant Roland Topper book. It also stars Melvin Douglas, Shelley Winters, and my favorite, Isabella Johnny. Um, it's uh, kind of a cousin to his film Repulsion, um, a, a film about a guy in a, an apartment who slowly but surely loses his mind. First time I saw it, I hated it. I hated the ending. I hated everything about it. Every time I go back to it, I think this is one of his great films. I think it's, it's, I think it's a complete horror masterpiece, but it defies expectations so fully and it's such an unpleasant film at times that i i think there's a reason there there are a lot of people like me that just completely didn't get this film the first time out it's it's pretty funny too though it is like yeah it is like the whole the direct cross-dressing thing is pretty awesome oh yeah it's great and how he jumps out the window twice at the end no it's great um i really like the film um and and you know when I first saw the film, I, I couldn't really relate to it. But I've lived in a bad part of town. I've I know what it's like to be afraid that your neighbors are listening to you or watching you through the window. Um, I think there's a lot to this film uh, as a psychological black comedy. And I think you're right; it, is, it certainly is a black comedy. But uh, yeah, it, it is pretty brilliant, I must say. And I I just I didn't get that the first time. Uh, on a similar vein, uh, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I thought it was incredibly boring. <laughs> and I still, like, I still appreciate it, but I just, like, uh... Then we uh, watched it again in class uh, last semester, and it was like watching an entirely different movie. I thought it was amazing. Part of it had to do with the fact that the first time I saw it, I saw the, uh, the theatrical cut, and we watched it uh, in class. We watched the restored version. Nice. So the difference is like even uh, like the opening tracking shot. Mm-hmm. In the original version, there's the credits are over it, and in the restored, there's no credits. Yeah. And then like that makes like a huge difference. And like going through it with our uh, teacher, like just going over all the sequences and what Wells does with it, I was like, yeah, I, I love this film. Yeah. I completely agree. And in fact, I, I like it better than Citizen Kane, which uh, always gets me into arguments. But yeah, I, I love, love Touch of Evil. And I, I agree. Um, watching watching the restored version, there's such a world of difference between watching that opening scene with the opening credits, which do tend to mar just how incredible that shot is, versus just seeing it purely without the credits. I agree. Uh, Jane Campion's In the Cut. First time I saw it, I'm like, this is garbage. This is the the Meg Ryan nudie movie. It As a murder mystery, it's terrible. Um, it's, it's kind of a sleazy movie. This is not what I wanted or expected from the director of The Piano. Um, the Piano? The Piano. I almost said The Pianist, and, and I was afraid <laughs> I was going to say The Penis. So I think I, I said The Piano. That's what happened there. Um, the Piano, the director of The Piano and a lot it's of nice other good films. The, the, the inner workings of, of Professor Worst's mind. It's a scary thing. Let's let's get out of there immediately. And But seeing this film again, um, I think this is – I'm not going to say it's like some undiscovered masterpiece, but I do think this movie deserves a lot more respect because, yeah, as a murder mystery, it stinks. It, it has a really obvious, silly, stupid – subpar like Joe Esterhaz murder mystery but as a psychological film about someone who is sexually empowered 
and gets a little too far, goes a little too far with that and, and finds that her empowerment is actually hurting her, kind of like a modern day looking for Mr. Goodbar. Um, I think it's a pretty rich film. I think Meg Ryan's performance is underrated. I think Mark Ruffalo is amazing in this film. I think this is one of his best performances. And uh, Kevin Bacon is excellent in this film. People forget he's even in it. Um, it, it thematically holds up with all of the other Jane Campion movies it's about these women who are at a kind of a, at a very difficult, complex crossroads in, in, in their lives. And like the characters in her other films, whether it be Sweetie or Holy Smoke or even The Portrait of a Lady, um, it portrays women in a really interesting, complex, non-PC way that I think is really, really daring. Um, I think, uh, again, like I don't want to overstate it as like this huge masterpiece, but I do think it's much, much better than people give it credit for. Uh, a similar vein, uh, Gus Van Sant's Last Days. Hmm. The first time I saw it, I, I think it was like 13 or 14, and I just, I my taste was not at the point it is right now, so I just, it was like, this is the most boring movie ever. <laughs> then I revisited this year, and I, I think it's Van Sant's finest work. I think it is a true masterpiece, and I... I think I, there's so many. I couldn't believe just all these things in the movie. I hate myself that I couldn't appreciate. Like all this, the filmmaking it is stunning. And there's there's this scene in particular where um, the camera starts out outside uh, a window while he's practicing a song, and it slowly tracks back. And that visual in the movie is stunning. And like the fact that even like at that age, I still couldn't appreciate that. Like just makes me angry. And uh, I think it's a it is a great meditation on death, and you know ennui in life and yeah I, I love that film yeah yeah and it's interesting about just how this artist who he is as an artist can be enough that he can you know basically keep like a kind of like a family of people around him even though he's like clearly you know you know the artistry kind of leaks out of him but it's not what he used to be I, mean, I thought it was a really interesting commentary not only on how we perceive the last days of Kurt Cobain to be but how it is like when when people kind of leech on to artists in general and uh, there's that great scene in the movie too, where he passes out while a boys to men video is playing on the TV. Right, right. That's that's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, one that I'm deeply embarrassed about um, because uh, I, I keep all my top ten lists, and especially the ones that I wrote in college, because those were the first times that I um, I wrote uh, top ten best worst movie lists and articles uh, that that actually you know had people reading and responding to, it, and it really sparked on my love for film, for film criticism and doing that kind of thing. Um, my top ten best of uh, 2001 list kind of down the list I think it's like either either number 8 or number 9 but on that list is the John Cusack film Serendipity and I am deeply embarrassed by that I don't know what the frick I was thinking in the year 2001 were you smoking again? I don't know Um, I wasn't smoking in fact so I don't know what my I have no excuse Um, I saw the film recently and I think it just made me laugh so hard and I just enjoyed it so much that it just somehow squeaked onto that list but um um, and I remember liking Eugene Levy and and uh, and Jeremy Piven's contributions to that film, but it's such a nothing film. Um, I'm kind of I'm just deeply embarrassed that it's on that list because I don't know what the heck it's doing there. I mean, I think it's just maybe one or two notches above Must Love Dogs in terms of Ooh. John Cusack's filmography. So I don't know what the heck I was thinking. But apparently, ten years ago, I thought Serendipity was the shiz. So. I, uh, I just out of curiosity, what other uh, titles were on that list? 2001, let's see. AI was on there. Um, Memento was on there. O was on there. The Tim Blake Nelson O was a film. good movie. I liked O. Um, what else? M- Mulholland Drive? Mulholland Drive was on there. Oh, you know what? No. 
Wow. Oh, no, it was God. not. You know why? Because I hated it the first time I saw it. Thank you for bringing that up. That was one where I remember walking out of the theater and I thought it was cinematic masturbation. That's the word I used in my review. And uh, no, it, it was like three or four years um, before I finally looked at it again. I thought, wow, this is this is terrific. But you know, honestly, that that's been my experience with most of David Lynch's films. There there are only a couple like uh, Blue Velvet and The Elephant Man where I loved outright the first time. Most of his movies honestly took me a few times to like get into. And I saw Inland Empire at a time in my life where I was old enough to really appreciate cinematic art, and I loved Inland Empire outright the first time I saw it in the theater. Um, but no, I think every single one of his other films, including Fire Walk With Me and Dune and Eraserhead, well, I liked Eraserhead, but I think most of his other films, like it it really took me some subsequent viewings to get it. And Mulholland Drive was one of the big ones for me because I liked Lost Highway the first time I saw it, but Mulholland Drive, I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I thought, oh, all these great clues and it never explains anything. Um, but it, uh, I mean, it's obviously so much more than that. And uh, I didn't get it the first time. So... All right. Well, we, we should move on to the next section because we're a good chunk into this episode now. We're, we're coming up on an hour and a half. I'm so. sorry. Yes. So movies that we loved as kids. This is this is Captain America hard. number one. Oh man. When I was a kid. I was I was a dumb kid. I liked Captain America and. I was like, it was very entertaining. It's entertaining. You know, there's, there's always the stuff that, happening. That, that the Red Skull is doing his best Bela Lugosi impersonation. Um, well, it's that, not that's always movie. struck me as weird about that movie that the climax is at the beginning of the film like he ties him to the missile remember that's like in the first 10 minutes like yeah obviously the editing for that film is just just disaster oh yeah yeah I, I, this is the part where, where everyone's gonna be ashamed of how, who I was as a kid because I loved Leonard Part 6 when I was a kid too that's a very entertaining film to a child though yeah, I thought it was I thought it was bad the first time I saw it, but I'm like, you know what, that's kind of a cool idea how like she could get all those animals to attack people or or like get Pyranas to somehow get into a swimming pool and attack people. Like it made sense when I was nine, I think, yeah, nine or ten. Yeah, yeah. And and then the ones I'm really not proud of, I actually really enjoyed the Saturday the fourteenth movies when I was a kid. Oh man, I haven't even seen any of those films. Uh, don't. I've revisited them and j- j- just don't. <laughs> don't Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I saw Police Academy four, I thought it was the funniest film I'd ever seen in my life. And but again, this is this is when I was ten, um, you know. And Bobcat Goldwaith was just like comedy gold to me when I was ten. Although I gotta say, I think Police Academy four is still the funniest in the series. So I, I don't know if I completely disagree with my original assessment. Well, it's not the funniest movie ever made, but I thought it was pretty great when I was ten. Did you have anything to, to fess up to? Oh, do I? Do you? Um. <laughs> Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Oh man, man, that movie. Who? That's a that's a good example though of when you're a kid and there's so much marketing for a movie like that aimed directly at you. There's you know there's toys, there's Taco Bell tie-ins, right. there's uh, billboards, figures. there's all that garbage. And as a small child, you buy into it completely. And that's really what I remember about that movie. And the actual movies, like, I love Roland Emmerich. I love his movies. And that one is just, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're so right because, like, I, I mean, I was in college, um, but I do know what it's like to feel bombarded by a movie because, uh, I mean, I love Tim Burton's Batman, but I felt like no matter what. Oh, I was my gonna, gosh, you couldn't no matter get away what, from it. No matter what, I was going to like that movie because that movie would have, like, found me in a dark corner and beaten me if I didn't like it. Because, yeah, like, everywhere you looked, everywhere, you cannot escape it. But, like, I think Godzilla, for me, was more intense because not only was it the action figures and the Taco Bell ads and the billboards everywhere and the TV ads, but MTV. That movie took over MTV. Like, that soundtrack, you could not get away from no, that freaking couldn't. soundtrack. You know, Dude, that Pop Daddy's 
song, that's the one thing about it that is at least pretty sweet. <laughs> the the bat dance, come on. Oh, you're talking about Batman? Yeah, yeah, with the bat dance. Yeah, but the same thing with Godzilla. Just I felt like like that movie was like like it was gonna come to my door and like and like take me by the hand and force me to the theater to see it. And I managed to avoid it because um, not only was I in Maui at the time and I was too busy just like you know being with my friends and family, but like the Truman Show had come out. I think the week after. And I just – the Truman Show I think was the movie that summer that I think I saw in the theater more than any other film. So I managed to miss Godzilla. I saw it on VHS and I just thought this is The Jimmy really Page um, um, Puff Daddy song was pretty good yeah, too. Yeah, so that's what even just – yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, I got to admit that was – it was catchy. What was it called? Come With Me? I, was yeah. that – see, that's how much it doesn't fit because the, the title didn't mean anything to me. So yeah. Well, I got to hear it. I, I yeah. like to imagine that Puff Daddy is like rapping about the lizard. That's the thing. That's great about it. <laughs> I gotta hand it to them though. Like what, what I thought was really clever was every video, every music video. That one, the one um, Jacob Dylan did with Heroes, and there are a few other songs on the Godzilla soundtrack that were made into music videos. They all were attached thematically. All the videos were the performers singing, and there was the big lizard outside. Like like the the Jacob Dylan one when he's doing the cover of David Bowie's Heroes. Like the the concert venue that he's in, it's like you see like dust is coming down, and like the whole place is shaking because Godzilla is outside. And same thing with the Puff Daddy one where he's like in an elevator, but like Godzilla's outside, so the elevator's shaking. Like they've really like made it like this is officially part of Godzilla. And you couldn't see what the action figures looked like until the day the film came out. Do you remember that? Like you could not see what Godzilla looked like That's right. until the movie finally came. It was a, it was like it was a very Spielbergian touch, which I like because it's like what does he look like? You never get an idea. You see the feet, you see the tail, but it wasn't until the movie we actually saw the whole thing. It's like wow, he's kind of a muscular Gila monster. He doesn't look anything like the the Japanese version. No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> and I never understood how he was able to get in the subway, and yet he's like the size of the Empire State Building. Do you remember that? Like, like at the end of the uh, movie, he's like crawling around the yeah. subway, and I guess he lays his eggs in there. But like at the beginning of the film, I mean, we established like this thing is like he's taller than any building in New York. But like his size kind of changes throughout the film. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't like Godzilla either. <laughs> it's a bad film. Uh, on a similar vein, The Phantom Menace was pretty much the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 you, a winner. But you didn't like that one either, though, Dave. Did no, you the first time? Because no. I didn't like I mean, I thought the action scenes were great, like but I was, I was really disappointed. I tried so hard to like that movie. Yeah. I really did, and it just it didn't happen. No. Well, I read an article about by uh, Jay Hoberman recently. It was about how uh, basically the marketing for The Phantom Menace was the movie. Like, when it actually came out, it, like... It didn't matter. Yeah, because like, the, the Duel of the Fates video was on freaking MTV. Yes, it was. And it was a very cool video. It and was. For that matter, that, that piece of music is wonderful. Actually, yeah, that reminds me, a friend was, uh, I was talking to a friend recently. He said his, his uh, senior quote in high school was a YouTube link to Duel of the Fates. And when I heard that, I, I laughed pretty <laughs> damn hard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and this is another great example because, like, I mean, you know, came out the year after Godzilla. I mean, what is it about the 90s, man? Because I think, like, I think after Batman, people caught on. Like, not only was Batman, I think, a quality superhero movie or whatever, but, like, the marketing of that film was so aggressive, and it clearly worked because even people who weren't going to see Batman went to see Batman. So after that, like, the next year you had Dick Tracy. And yeah. same thing. Like, you could not get away from the Madonna tie-in album. You couldn't get away from the action figures and the billboards and the TV commercials. Much as you might want to. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think Dick Tracy is anywhere near as good as Batman. But, like, you know, like, it, it got to the point where that you're, – you're totally right, Ethan. Like, that became either the movie or like it became like learning about like world events it's like 
I'm sure most people can't even remember like, you know, like what happened that weekend in the world, but they certainly remember where they were when they saw like what Batman begins and Dick Tracy and Godzilla. But like the Phantom Menace, um, I remember this one article specifically saying that next to like, there's never been anything like this since Gone with the Wind. And I thought that's kind of a big statement. But this article in New York Times was very thorough saying like, look, when Gone with the Wind came out, it was pre-sold because that book was so huge. And it's all people talked about. It was the only thing. And people like took uh, took off work to go see it. People were camping out in the theaters. It was the same Remember, thing. Remember, that was why Meet Joe Black won the weekend. It was right. because they had the right. teaser in front of it. And I, that's exactly why I saw Meet Joe Black. And I, for that matter, I like Meet Joe Black. But but no, I, otherwise I wouldn't have seen Meet Joe Black in the theater because I wanted to see that trailer. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to think like, you know, the, the idea of what that movie could have been, the idea we all had in our minds of what the Star Wars prequel could have been and what we had imagined for years and years and years really is what got us not only in line the first time, but in many cases, people like bought like blocks of tickets to see it over and over again because they figured they would want to see it over and over again. Um they thought they would want to see it over and over again. I remember seeing it at, uh, not seeing the film, but I remember being at the Dollar Theater. Let's see, the movie came out in May, and then I was at the Dollar Theater in October, and I was going to see, uh, gosh, I think it might have been like Three Kings or Random Hearts or something. And I remember being in line, and there were all these kids in front of me who were ready to see Phantom Menace at the Dollar Theater, the discount theater, and they were all dressed up in costume. At the they Dollar had, Theater. At the Dollar Theater. They had their lightsabers. This was like six of them. I think it may, might have been like a birthday party. But anyway, like the whole time they're in front of me, they're like, you know, kind of like just going off about, oh, they can't wait to see it again and the, the, batter, the battle and the lightsaber battles and everything. Before this kid was out of my line of sight, I said, excuse me, young man, I got to know how many times we've seen this. He's like, this will be my eighth time this year. May the force be with you. And he, and he ran off. Wow. So, like, I wonder, because, like, you know, we're all kind of, like, snickering about this Phantom Menace coming back, you know, with oh. the, in 3D. But like, I'm not going. I'm not going either. But, like, the thing we got to remember, like, you know, despite the fact that there's a lot of guys, like, our age who didn't like the film, kids liked this film when it came out. It was a well, huge hit. I, I, I was that age when the movie came out, and I don't know how I sat through those, like, Senate hearing scenes. <laughs> Maybe because they were so visually cool. I mean, they were cool. I mean, they're all floating around. I mean... I mean, it's, it's, you know, say what you will about the film. It's not an ugly film, and it's not a – I don't think it's a dull film. I think it's an uninspired film. But, I mean, I never found it boring because there's always something cool to look at. Even the stupid stuff is visually state-of-the-art. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. we got to admit, this is – I mean, this is not like – you know, it's not like watching Julian Donkey Boy. I mean, this is, this is the Phantom what? Menace. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you got to bring Harmony Kareen into this, don't – I'm not specifically picking about Carmen and Kareen right now. I'm just saying in terms of like mo- movies where like you're going like, man, this is this is ugly or something like Phantom Menace where it's like it's like being like a kid who like lo- like, you know, is running around a candy store. Like even even the candy that's bad for you is still pretty to look at, you know, I think Julian Donkey Boy is a more visually accomplished movie than The Phantom Menace, but well, whatever. Well, Julian Donkey Boy is probably a better movie than Phantom Menace anyway. But, you, but all, all I'm saying is like, you know, it's just. You know, I feel like, you know, it's like being lost in Willy Wonka's factory. Even the parts that aren't interesting are still cool to look at. It is a CGI fetish film, for sure. Sure. Why the he- why the heck not? I mean, and that's the film that kind of got us crazy about that. I mean, how many films have we watched since that? Like, like we don't even take it for granted. Like, 300 was shot entirely in front of a green screen. Nobody cared, you know, because it's like, well, that's so much a part of the cinematic landscape. These movies that are not only pre-sold with all the intense uh, intense hype and marketing, but like, the fact that, that there's no sets. In some cases, there's no, in, in the case of like, like Tron, there's no costumes. It's all digital. 
you know? It's there made, were costumes in Tron. There were some costumes, but there was a lot of digital, digitized costumes. And, like, this this Green Lantern coming out with the costumes. Oh, my digital. Gosh. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, yeah. it's amazing, like, how far we've come to, like, we don't even we don't even think about it anymore. Like, how digital crazy we are. And we, and we really do have George Lucas to thank. To blame. To blame for, for this. Because, like, I mean, the fact that the Phantom Menace was so embraced as, like, this, I mean, really, for what it was, this kind of this experimental, you know, take on film where it's, like, screw the screw the plot. We're going to, like, put everything into, like, the way this movie looks and the way it sounds and the way it feels. And, you know, we, we totally went for it. So. Yeah. I don't mean to make you more angry than you have been today, Dave. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like. I mean, I think it's interesting that there is a trajectory there, and like you know, it it really did kind of begin with the with the Phantom Menace and that sense of like digital film, really kind of taking over, because like we had Troy yeah. just a few years later, and like people don't remember this, but like almost all of the scenes in Troy that people remember are totally digital. There's no extras in Troy. I mean, that movie was Brad Pitt and Eric Bana, but like you've got like 200 guys like like slamming into each other and like these huge fight scenes that are totally digital. And Orlando Bloom, the big girl. Yeah. Right. You know, like the movie made itself out to be like this David Lean epic. And, you know, most of it's like a video game. It's all these digital guys, all these digital figures smacking into each other. There's like, there's nothing authentically epic about that movie. It's a digital film. There's a reason why no one likes it. Yeah. I don't like Troy either. Yeah. 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 All right. Shall we close this bad boy up? I, I think we've had, we've done enough movies. Wait, one more. Batman okay. and Robin. You liked it? Oh, I loved it as a kid. The soundtrack specifically. R. Kelly's Gotham City. More importantly, Smashing Pumpkins. No, but arguably the best R. Kelly song that isn't about humping. <laughs> you know, like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Ki- uh, Seal, Kiss from a Rose in a Grave. Was that, wait, that was from the third one. That was Batman Forever. Forever, sorry. Shame yeah. on me. I should know that. No kidding, dude. Dude. <laughs> It did have a good soundtrack. I'll give you that. But it did. That, uh, right before that had come out, probably about six months beforehand, I just finished reading the whole Bane story and seeing what they did to that character and just made him the special ed of Batman and Robin. I mean, yeah. Well, you know what came out? Yay! I like, get to kill a guy. Yay! Oh, God. No, it, it was... I'm sorry. It was the year after. I was going to say it came out later that summer. No, the, the year after, I remember the movie that was so hyped that I saw that I, I still love is the X-Files movie. The first X-Files yeah, movie. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Batman and Robin. I actually didn't. Oh boy, I did see it in the theater. I saw it in the Dollar Theater. and I took my mom to see it. I saw it on an airplane and wanted to walk off. Really? Wow, bad. you saw that on an airplane? Yeah. What a weird movie to watch on an airplane. Oh, yeah. I, I think I, I think I saw it on my birthday. <laughs> so, even better. Oh, it's like a birthday party movie. That's fun. I, I can't, I can't even, I can't even say anything negative against it. That's, that's cool to see a movie like that on your birthday. All right. Wow. What quickly? What's the most? What's the weirdest movie any of us has ever seen on an airplane? I, I think yeah. I have you guys licked, but I'm uh, curious. I, I saw Killer of Sheep on a plane recently. That was really weird. They had that as an in-flight option. Killer of Sheep? Yeah, have you ever? You never heard no, of it? No, I don't know what that is. It's an obscure uh, movie made from the 1970s about an impoverished black family. It's like a landmark independent film, and it was an in-flight option recently. <laughs> wow. Wow. How dang. bizarre. Yeah, it's I, an absolute masterpiece of a film, too, so... <laughs> I, you know, I, I saw Donnie Brasco the first time on an airplane, and I love that movie. 
cool. Um, no, it's probably either Batman and Robin. Or I think you know. I think Bed of Roses was that same time. And oh, that's such a bad movie too. Bed of Roses, man. Oh, I hated that movie. Yeah. I think the movie that I saw on an airplane the first time, and I I liked the film probably because I saw it on an airplane was Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> like for me, like that movie was hilarious. At like you know, you know, thousands of feet in the air, down at sea level, not so much. But like, man, it, you know, when I was watching the first couple episodes of Lost on an airplane. And, and it was, I was flying out for the fountain junket and went back when we worked for that other website. Um, yeah, I actually had like the first few episodes. I had my portable DVD player and uh, people were walk by and, oh, what are you watching? Why is there a burning section of airplane on the beach right behind you while you're on an airplane flight? I got the oddest looks for watching that show. I couldn't do it, man. Because I've wondered that. Like, like do I, am I man enough to watch like Die Hard 2 on an airplane? I can't do it. I can't. I cannot do that. Well, what about you? What about United ninety three? <laughs> <laughs> you had to go there. I've I, had nightmares know. from United ninety three. So no, like I can't imagine watching that on an airplane. I can't imagine watching airplane on an airplane. You know, I can't. No, I airplane can't do two? that. Or airplane two, the sequel. No, no. Okay. Or snakes on a well, snakes on a plane. I could watch on an airplane. That would be fun. On, on your way to Hawaii. I yes, I could do that. I could do that. But but You'd no. Be sitting there, I've had it with yelling it out while other people are like, "What's wrong with him?" But I could not watch something like Alive, you know, or something like you know, Fearless on a freaking airplane. You know, I, I, I Red can't. Eye. Mm, maybe. <laughs> that's a good film. I like yeah. Red Eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Let's close this up. We're over an hour and a half. We need to move on. What's hitting theaters this week, sir? Well, speaking of artificial cinema, the the current godfather of artificial cinema, Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch, starring Scott Glenn, a lot of cute girls, and a lot of CGI monsters, opens up everywhere. It's another CGI fetish film. I mean, it really is. I'm, I don't know. Lots I, of I really, have, I really don't have much desire to see it. i got to be honest. Because I, I think you're right. It's going to end like Brazil. How can it not end like Brazil? It's got. They're not going to escape from the... We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I shouldn't say anything. Um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid 2, Roderick Rolls, as I said today before the show, like I didn't realize the first one was that big a hit that they were going to make a, a sequel. sequel. Let alone a theatrical sequel. Okay, straight to video, totally get it. Right. But yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know, I saw the first one because I loved the book so much. I think they're just hysterical. But the first movie was so uninspired. Yeah, I don't get it. I yeah. mean, this is like Big Mama's big big daughters what was it big mama's big sons like follow like uh, whatever big mama house yeah. three um also opening up limited release uh, mural i think it's mural uh starring frida pinto this is the controversial film about the creation of the state of israel in 1948 um yeah a lot of controversy on this one this opens up in a limited release and let's see got oh, jane Eyre expanding yes apparently. jane Eyre is expanding with mia wazikowska and uh and of course of course michael fassbender um yeah and that's that's really it okay all right, then. yeah, I'm skipping the movies this weekend. <laughs> yeah, um, I, stuff. I think I'll have The Man from Nowhere by then, so I'll probably watch that. Oh, nice! Very yeah, nice. It turns into, it's a vengeance movie that turns into Taken. Wow, I'm, that's that, that's all I needed to, to hear. To, yeah, that's yeah. a good pitch. And then, uh, do you have? Are you looking forward to any of these, Ethan? <laughs> I will see Sucker Punch on Sheep Night. Well done. So, at, not this weekend's po- episode, but next week's episode. Then, yeah, a couple episodes down the road, we'll, we'll find out. And then coming to, to home video. Uh, one of the most acclaimed films of last year, and shame on me for not seeing this in theaters. And, and Dave, you saw this one tri- twice, right? right? Uh, Tangled? Yes, you I see did. you see it twice? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, the second time I saw it, I loved it so much more. The music, I think, is still weak. Um, and I yes, the, the, the villain isn't that scary, but I think she's still appropriate for the film. And uh, I'm hoping to have uh, a, a, a virtual roundtable that I was involved with, with with Glenn Keane up here, hopefully this week. Um, that was a really treat, a, a treat to get to sit through too. Absolutely. 
I'm, yeah. I'm getting I'm getting the four disc edition. I think it's the 3D Blu-ray, which I'll never watch. The Blu-ray, the DVD, and the digital copy for like twenty bucks. So nice. Yeah. That's a good deal for that. Yeah. yeah, I need to see this thing. Um, gosh, one of the best experiences I've ever had last year going to the movies with Dave and my wife. We went to the Denver Opera House to see Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Yep, next week. Next week. Next week. Next week. Yep. Uh, let's see, Mad Men season four uh, on Blu-ray. Scream one through three. Not in a box set, but individually. Yeah. <sighs> we'll buy the third one. Um, well, you know what? If you're a completist, <laughs> if you're, if you're a completist, completist. And you're, you know, you're going to be there to see the fourth one. Uh, Storyline Green, one of the great sci-fi films with uh, Edgar G. Robinson and also, of course, Charlton Heston. Um, this is weird because I like this film, but Teen Wolf on Blu-ray. Yeah. Wouldn't that just show how phony the makeup is? and You get to see the guy they, with his junk hanging out. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> That's the, I think that's the entire oh, reason why it's on right. I forgot about that. I'm betting they've got it blurred out. I, I would put money on it. Stay tuned. I'm sure we'll find out in a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the kind of thing we report on because we're screen geeks, people. Yeah, well, Only we, the news we, we that matters. We've got its junk hanging out while he's in the audience. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a good film. Uh, Doug Liman's uh, political thriller, Fair Game, with Sean Penn and Naomi Watts. Very good film. Don't expect the born identity, though. It's, it's more, it's more uh, converse dialogue-driven than anything, but it's good. It's a good film. Um, Mike Lee's Topsy Turvy, one of the most acclaimed films in 1999, available on Criterion Special Edition. That's going to be a good yep, DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, all kind of, yeah. Very nice. Um, also, this one was, was delayed, you said, Dave. Uh, the, the Times of Harvey Milk. Yeah, it looks like it's Criterion. not coming out until next week now. For some reason. Uh, That's what Amazon's saying. So That's too bad. I, my best documentary I've ever seen in my life. I love this film. Um, the Mikado. The Mikado is also out. This, of course, is the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, uh, where the, one of the main characters is Yankee Pooh. I've seen Mikado. I've seen it on stage. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm curious how that is. Um, Sherlock Holmes, the complete collection. These are all of the Basil Rathbone films. All 14 films on three Blu-rays for the mere low price of $80. That's ridiculous. For movies that are that old. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not like anybody who saw the Robert Downey Jr. film is going, you know what? I want to see all the old original Sherlock Holmes films. You know that's not going to happen. No. No, not even a little bit. Because, like, sales in young Sherlock Holmes haven't exactly taken off since that movie either. So it's like, (laughs) you know. Yeah. No. That's it. Okay. Ever so randomly, I just got an alert um, on on Amazon. I don't know if this is just like a one-day thing or what. But apparently you can buy the first three volumes of Space Ghost Coast to Coast for 18 bucks. (laughs) 18 bucks. That's a fun show. It's goofy. It's fun. Yeah. Just had to throw it out there. And and should I throw in the one – should we discuss the one news story we forgot to mention earlier? Sure. Um because this is just is one of the dumber things. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried is no longer the spokesman for uh, for Aflac. You know, cuz I'm sure they have him every time that they're doing a commercial. Okay, this time we want you to say Aflac a little differently. I'm sure it's the same way, just <laughs> looped every time. Uh, but here's the thing. Okay, so he made an inappropriate tsunami joke. Uh, did they were they not paying attention when he did the 9/11 joke 2 days after the event? I- I'm just this is one of those you you should know who you're getting. Or the fact that, like, as I said before, like, he's the guy who, like, his take on the aristocrats is what basically made that movie. I mean, that was the whole basis of the film, is that he told that joke the way he did. I, this is dumb. This is so stupid. Because, like, I mean, most people, I'm, I'm willing to bet that most people are not aware that Gilbert Gottfried is the Affleck duck. I mean, I'm, you know, just like most people don't know that it's it's Jeff Bridges as the voice of Duracell, you know, or or that or that Ed Harris is the Home Depot guy. Like, they don't know this. No, 
You know, yeah, it, it, like you were saying before, the fact that he was Iago and Aladdin does not make him family friendly. No, for Pete's sake. I mean, you know, it's like it's like Bob Saget for Pete's sake. Okay, like Bob Saget is a filthy, filthy, filthy comic. But for for Pete's sake, like when he was doing his job on, on you know America's Funniest Home Videos, I mean, like we never got any any whiff of that. Exactly. Or when he was on Full House, no one knew about that before or after. And, and until it, before or after. Exactly. And and most people now, like I I would dare say most families who like have the Full House box. Set, don't know, don't care that he's this blue, filthy comic. And I would say the same thing for like Gilbert Gottfried. I mean, like, who is going to go, oh, that's Gilbert Gottfried. I refuse to buy insurance from Affleck. That's ridiculous. Well, and the man's got a long track record of being appropriate on network television. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, uh, should, I, should I bring it up? Why not? The, 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 he was on Arsenio Hall like in the early to mid 90s. And uh, he, Arsenio Hall brings up the fact, he's like, hey, so I hear you have a picture of Dick Clark that you keep by your nightstand. And he comes back, yeah, and I use it every night, too. And I'm like, he got, he said this on national, t- so when I hear that he made an inappropriate joke, big freaking whoop. That's that's what he does. I mean, he's been one of these comedians, kind of like Sam uh, Sam Kennison, who will just basically take a joke or an idea as far as he possibly can go to the point where like it goes beyond being offensive to being like kind of surreal, you know, surreally offensive or surreally funny. But that's that's who he is. So this is this is just so bizarre because this was this is such a silly thing. Like anybody could be making that voice. And the fact that it's him is like, okay, well I guess that's appropriate that he's making that duck voice, but like to be fired to be fired for making an offensive joke. I mean, I you know, and I don't think his his, his Japan joke was funny either. I mean that, that of course that's offensive. But again, it's Gilbert Gottfried. That's what he does. Yeah. What do you think about this, Ethan? Well, you know, it, uh, you look at something like this, and you, uh, you, uh, 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 you got nothing. I don't really have anything to say. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, this is like this would be like if like someone hired Daniel Tosh right now to be their spokesman, and then get pissed at him when he makes a kitty porn joke. Sure. Sure. It's just it makes no, sense. No, no, yeah, no. You're right. And the thing is, like, when it's one thing, if it's like, "Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried by Affleck," but like, I again, I don't, <laughs> I don't think most people know that he's the Affleck duck. I don't think that's the case. So, like, you know, because because look, uh, to go like w- with an example, I could think of. I mean, remember when Pee Wee Herman was taken off of Star Tours? Because of the, the, right, the, because the, the theater incident. Yeah, because that whole thing that happened. Yeah, so like they replaced the voice because Peter Herman used to be the voice of the robot on Star Tours at Disney. Wait, the whole thing I don't get about that is like, okay, when you're in a porno theater, of course you're going to be doing that. Why is that even <laughs> like a... Well, the thing that always puzzled me was that like these undercover cops, like, you know... They trailed him to the theater and they watched him and they arrested him. Like that always seemed that's very... gonna be the worst pos- the worst assignment ever. No, like that, just like what a what a horrible thing to do. Like you know, why the heck aren't they out like chasing real criminals? Why are they like you know, why were they going after Paul Rubens as he went into a porn theater? I mean, did they really think he was gonna like stick up the place? He's Paul Rubens. He has money. I think they just really didn't like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> You know they weren't fans of Flight of the Navigator. I don't know which one or something. But yeah, again, like it's this. It, you know, I I kind of understand that because you, know, you hear Pee Wee's voice; it's so recognizable. The robot was doing the voice. So they thought, okay, we got to change it so people like don't laugh uncomfortably on the ride. Same thing when like when Disney got rid of Captain EO, which of course is now back. Captain EO is now playing at all Disney parks, which is amazing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, again, like you know, Michael Jackson, Pee Wee Herman. You know, I'd say ten out of ten people you ask them who are these people, they're gonna say they know. But Gilbert Gottfried the guy from like Beverly Hills Cop 2 they're not gonna know who he is yeah yeah 
Okay, just wanted to bring that up just because it, it, it's just so ludicrous. It was um, an intriguing story. It yeah. was. All right, so if you want to shoot us an email, by all means, do. you can email us at podcast, Barry, Dave, or Ethan, all at screengeeks.com. Um, I almost want to do the Divisions trilogy next week. I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. That might take a couple weeks for us to get through everything to, yeah. uh, to, yeah. to get to watching it. But we'll, we'll, we'll have something entertaining, hopefully, for you next week. Uh, but until then, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> When we woke up, we had these bodies. Satan Russian. Hmm. Then we woke up, we had these bodies. Now say nuclear vessels. No.